Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
Logos is the icon of the Father, and man is the icon of God. We are the image of God. Dire Wave 3.
spirit of a people. Architecture reflects the soul, the spirit of a people. And so therefore you can see the degeneracy, you can see the degradation, and the loss of aesthetics, the, the loss of the idea of there being harmony, order, symmetry in aesthetics. It's connected with the loss of a coherent worldview and philosophy. super exhausted so it's going to be a bit of a challenge today in this stream but we'll get through it and uh we did a lot of traveling a lot of crazy stuff this was probably the craziest most intense wildest week i've ever had and i want to thank you guys for all the support as you guys know uh we had a trip to do our recent live event in austin it went great Hopefully everybody can hear me right. There's no stupid videos playing. It's the... I don't even know where I am. I'm so tired. I can't even think. Does <laughs> this sound good? Should be. We always get complaints from the peanut gallery about the sound. 
looking fresh. I don't feel fresh. I feel like I'm on my man period because I am. So I don't feel like a fresh lady running through the fields. As we walk the fields of gold, you'll remember me in the western blue. That was uh, my impression of soft sting. That wasn't sting. That was soft sting. That was stubby, like a sting. You get stung with a pointy thing. That was getting stung with a butter knife. That was soft sting. That was stub. You remember me. We have so many complaints about the sound and my screaming, which that's a tribute to Samuel Hyde, the extreme gain scream. Did nobody pick up on that? Your sound sucks, dude. You're the worst person to exist. Piece of shit. Your sound is demonic. Oh, I'm so tired, dude. Dull sting. Very, it was very sensual. It's because I was over there doing that tantra. I was doing that tantric meditation with Stang. And I got stung. Wah, wah, wah. What are we doing? Today we're going to talk about an aspect of institutional capture, which is the capturing of religious institutions. And we're going to look at other institutions and the techniques academically on record admitted as to how this was done. And we're going to, we're going to realize that, hey, no surprise, it's the exact same thing in the church. Churches in general. Yeah. Yeah, my yoga pants are tingling. I hope your yoga pants are tingling right now. If you heard my little clip. Clip, clip. Clip, clip. Clip, clip. I'm talking about that clip. Clack, clack. Brat, brat. Thank you for the, uh, yeah. You guys haven't even seen. There's a whole other thing that nobody even knows about. Secret thing we did. It'll be out in April-ish. And, um. I was in Austin. It was a double fiasco. I can't say what the other event is, but it's big. I'll just say that. And probably one of the craziest weeks and one of the most proud I've ever been in terms of dreams coming true. And, um, well, it's not exactly that, Klaus, but let's just say that I, I was dressed up as a prominent world Bond villain. And let's say that full production involved. And let's just say that maybe it'll go out one day to a large audience. Let's just say that. And uh, we were hitting on all cylinders. I did have one thing that didn't go over so well. I thought it was funny, but it didn't go over so well. I did. I did a. Uh, I want to eat the bugs, in the style of Kirk Franklin, and that was a out of nowhere at the live event. I thought that was fun. Some people liked it. A couple people were not so happy with that, but that's okay. We excommunicated those heretics right away. Um. 
Anyway, so yeah, we're gonna let's get back to the focus on uh, focusing on the topic. Like I said, forgive me, I'm super tired. Uh, I'll probably be just like zoning out, wandering off mentally into who knows what. But um, there's just so much happening; it's crazy. So we want to understand institutional capture because it's a big element uh, that explains what's going on in the world of religion. And when we look at the other worlds of society, economics, banking, corporations, uh, businessman, uh, what other society, uh, uh, that's academia, these, these areas of society, they have tentacles of the power structure in them surely, surely nobody finds that controversial but the idea that there would be a sort of coordinated manipulation of institutions for various purposes which is a historical fact still seems lost on a lot of people and this is partly what keeps people in the magic circle the box within the Overton window. You can never be outside of the shifting, moving Overton window. Keep you in that magic circle and you'll never get anywhere or figure anything out because you're always bouncing around within the little magic circle as a pong back and forth, bing, 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 bing. And you never understand things outside of or at the meta level what's really going on, so to speak. So that's what we try to do here is uh, give the big picture, the cross-disciplinary meta-analysis. And we do that uh, by looking uh, at, in a hopefully scholarly and academic way to a degree the literature on the subjects. Sometimes that includes very technical academic literature. Sometimes it includes more mainstream pop analyses. And sometimes that includes more of the fringe theoretical. I always try to make it clear which we're pulling from. Tonight we're mainly going to be pulling from the academic realm uh, some of the uh, intelligence analysis realm and a little bit of the theory and speculation realm, but not much of that. Tonight is pretty much going to be fact, fact, fact. The fact, the fact, the fact, the fact, the fact. Now, if you think about ancient empires, we still haven't, there's so many books we want to get to here. I apologize that we haven't even gotten to all the books that we want to get to. We've got a couple uh, great clips we're going to look at that illustrate uh, recent clips that I've seen that illustrate our point in other areas. So we got one that's going to deal with journalism and intelligence. Hopefully you know about Mockingbird, right? Um, and by the way, when we do the uh, Gladio text, which I'm progressing through, this is not the part two. If you signed up recently, guys, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You will still get the part two. Nope, that's not it. Where's the big me? Make me big, baby. There we go. You will still get the part two to this in Vatican Spies. But, you know, Vatican Spies and uh, these two texts are great companions because this is written by a neoconish cold warrior pro-Vatican, pro-John Paul II. And this is written by a, an FBI Catholic consultant uh, to the FBI who is very critical of Rome from a just an objective critical standpoint. So he critical of Gladio, 
but it, this guy is the opposite side of the Cold War fence. But the admissions between these two approaches, you'll see, this helps us see things outside of the dialectic. You see what you see what we're doing here. So to read these two together at the same time is uh, amazing for the confirmation that we get from two different perspectives, right? We want to understand the critical, more liberal-minded perspective of the Cold War. And we want to understand that uh, neoconservative, so-called right-wing capitalist, uh, you know, CIA Cold Warrior perspective. Because, as you know, uh, we see both of these as kind of a long-term game. But these are uh, for the technocracy that's rolling out now, which couldn't have happened without the Cold War. Uh, but both of these texts are very important for the notion of institutional capture. And that, that I've just seen that so profoundly in this text. And I mean, every chapter in this book is just like, holy crap, dude. And I mean, holy crap, because it literally is the alliance between Vatican CIA and mafia. Now all the trad cats get mad. We're not picking on trad cats because the point of tonight's discussion is that this same issue is in the Orthodox world. You see what I'm saying? And, uh, our great sponsor, uh, we have two sponsors, not just chalk.com, but also the beloved and lovely Richard Grove, as you guys know. And, uh, you know, Richard brought up, I don't know if Richard has talked about this text. We did an analysis of this book and this book is relevant for tonight because this is about, uh, anthropology dorks being used by intelligence in the CIA and the studying of ethnography for the weaponization of social engineering, psyops, intelligence operations. So this is more like a specific domain of studies, right? Uh, Margaret Mee, Gregory Bateson, you know, these anthropologists who are really just academics huffing their own toots who serve the neoliberal world order establishment. And that ties in great with uh, this book that, that Richard is always recommending. I got it many years ago. I have not de delved into this, but uh, I plan to just because, you know, Richard has over at Grand Theft World has given this so many props. I know what it's about. I've read other texts that deal with this. And so we'll be looking at Cloak and Gown eventually by Robin Winks, which is the co-opting of spies in, in, in academic garb, robes. And if you guys don't know, we did a podcast. I did, I did a talk a year ago, Spies Investments. Hinting at getting at this idea of cloak and gown. So, I mean, these are uh, mainline academic texts. These aren't conspiracy texts. These are by professors. This is written by Professor David Price. Um, pretty much all of these books that we deal with are written by professors. So, And then separate to this, but also does tie into it, uh, yeah, I know about the, the, the various books. I just haven't got around to getting them. So people were like, when are you going to get this other book? What about this one? Yes, I'm aware of the Daniel Ganser book, NATO's Secret Armies. So it did arrive. You should see my reading table. It's like this giant, it's like up to the, up to the roof. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire because of all the books. 
it's a reading hat. It's a fire hazard. All the books stacked up. So we're going we gonna to get Fahrenheit 451 up in here. Um, and as you guys know, the most important text on this topic, sort of the Bible of this topic, is none other than John Courtney Murray Time Life Magazine, The American Proposal, which is essentially the key. It's the master key to understanding that Vatican II the liberalization of Roman Catholicism uh, are, are not uh, solely due to ideological and theological dorks sitting around and arguing theology. Rather, powerful, powerful interests with unlimited fiat money pouring their wealth, their power, their influence into religious institutions and seminaries to change the face of these institutions. Thus, the, you could say, long march through the institutions. However, everyone, especially all the cold warriors, especially the tri cats, boomers, they still think this is commies. It's just an element of commie, right? It's not commies. It's a little element of commies. But it's ultimately monopoly capital behind Fabian socialism. And these Fabians, as we know, 100 years ago, what did we see? Utilize religious institutions. Russell, Beatrice Sidney Webb, let's use Islam as a way to transform the UK. That then expanded to the transformation of Europe. You understand? So it's a geopolitical move fostered by Cambridge, Oxford academics through the funding that came through LSE, London School of Economics, and uh, the Milner-Fabian circles. Therefore, once again, we can see with the religious institution of Islam, this is the old British strategy. And we've, we've lectured through multiple texts, uh, Mark Curtis's Secret Affairs, Robert Dreyfus's uh, Devil's Game. Uh, I mean, there's just so many of these uh, where we... Gould and Fitzgerald's Invisible uh, Empire, all uh, prominent historical geopolitical texts that deal with the British imperial strategy of using Islam. Another text that deals with this that's kind of overlooked is uh, Lost Hegemon by Ingdahl. And Lost Hegemon is a great segue into this topic because Ingdahl uh, in this book also gets into the usage of evangelicals evangelicals and Islamic networks such as the Fethagulian network. So you know about the Gulen network, you know about the sitting up, the setting up of many, many um, radical Islamic groups through the Muslim Brotherhood, which has essentially always been uh, an uh, adjacent to an, an attache of British intelligence. Uh, and this, and the sort of the setting up of you know the Sykes Pico, all of that was in part done through religious manipulation. In other words, it played a role. It wasn't everything, but it played a role. And part of that was because British Empire wanted to uh, control Mecca to try to control Islam. And here you can see people are like quit banging the table. It's a book. We have books. Check them out. The library. Tiny mustache man with who? The grand imam, who was, of course, British intelligence. Not even hard to figure that out. It's pretty obvious. 
that's just an example, right? Uh, and, you know, you could look at the Galen network, Reinhard Galen, you could look at that as a death cult network. And you can see some of that going on in uh, over in U-K-R-A-I-N-E. Some of those same networks, A-Z-O-V, those are holdovers of the Galen and this. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so we will be getting way into a lot more depth uh, in the next uh, coming week because now that I'm back, I'm, I'm going to be rested up. And we'll, I'll be ready to do the part two. I know we're behind on this, so people don't freak out. We're going to get to the part two because we had a really good, I think, response to the last video, 20, 21, 22,000 on that Jesuits, OSS, Marian apparitions discussion. Remember that? So that's what's coming up. And then don't forget either that there's also good insights into religious manipulation in uh, Ingdahl's classic full spectrum dominance, right? We have the CIA usage of the Dalai Lama on record, uh, the free Tibet movement, CIA operation, and that again, tied into religion. And we've covered for a long time, as you guys know, the uh, usage of religious cults Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientology, those and uh, evangelical groups. Hopefully, hopefully we can still find that. Hopefully we can still find that. Excellent classic from Mark Hackard. I think it's still on here. Let's see. So if you've never heard this interview, and there's a little... Nice little Tom Coombe laugh in there. That's a, that's a good one. That's my article. It's my old classics. Uh, let's see. Where is Mark's Attack of the Cults? That's his essay. I don't even know if, if it's still there. But we've covered this because that gets into evangelical groups being used as fronts, right? Here it is. And this shouldn't come as any surprise. This is, yeah, this is a great essay. If you've never read this, everybody needs to read this. It shows the methodology methodology and tactics uh, of Western intelligence to use retardo religious groups like Sunday Adalaja. My name is Sunday Adalaja. Why are you gay? Who are you? You are gay. Why are you gay? My good friend is a Bill Clinton. Also have a friend, Nigerian Prince, will send you 1 million Bitcoin for $5. Oh, Y'all aren't even seeing this. This dude, remember this guy? This guy, right? Sunday Adalaja. Well, this is an intelligence front, if you can't figure that out. Duh. And this, of course, is what led to the banning of Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, in Russia over the last few years, as well as Scientology. But you'll notice that these evangelical groups were in were active in the uh, Ukraine, pushing Ukrainian nationalism. Even the evangelical groups, you see this. And why is that? Well, that's because they're uh, 
adjacent to or under Uncle Sam. Can you not figure that out? The State Department. You don't know this. Uh, and then we got to find that. SPZH article. This is what it's about in the long run. We'll get to that in a minute. We're not going to talk about this right now, but can you guys see that right there? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at in the long run, particularly when it comes to, uh, not just Rome, but the, the plans for the, we'll, we'll call it the deep religious state, so to speak, <laughs> Uh, for where they want to take orthodoxy in Rome, you can see it symbolized here very clearly. And that plays into what's what goes on in the U.S. in terms of um, religious engineering and subversion. So ecumenism is really a tool. Does that make sense? Right. For geopolitical power. It's not ultimately about religious theology. It only cares about religious theology insofar as it uh, is useful to the establishment as a tool of social engineering. And I'll, I think our audience, you know, we're not a stranger to this idea if we just think about church history. So maybe you don't know anything about geopolitics. That's fine. You don't have to know about ge geopolitics. But if we do want to have discernment in our age, then maybe you should. Maybe it's worth knowing about because if we think back to the earliest days of the church, didn't we have Aryan emperors? Hmm. Didn't they want to change the church theology? Well, sure. Uh, Do they just want to destroy the church? No, they wanted to change the church, change the theology. Why? Because to Aryan or semi-Aryan emperors, Aryan theology allows the state to be deified. And if you work your way up to Byzantine theology, to the iconoclast controversy, the same situation occurs where you uh, don't have images in the iconoclast worldview of anything theological, but you do have the images of the emperor. It's like the only valid image. So iconoclasm is an imperial heresy, and it was Im imposed by heterodox emperors to back up heterodox theology. So you better believe that geopolitics manifests the metaphysical and theological presuppositions. Of course it does. And if you don't think that, then you're being ahistorical and you're denying your own orthodox history of the Byzantine Empire and the splits with the West, right? So what happens in the Carolinians? When the Carolinians adopt... you know, Augustinian and Neoplatonic theology, this plays itself out in a certain quest that Charlemagne has to conquer and change the creed of Orthodox lands to now include the Filioque. And as we know, the Pope at that time, at the time of the Seventh Council, actually rejected it. And Charlemagne and his Carolinian court theologians actually rejected the Seventh Council. Right? Right? 
Roman Catholics, if you're ignorant of that, I'm sorry. It's not my fault. That's facts. <laughs> that's that's admitted history. You can read you can read Roman Catholic historians that now admit all this. So So we can't unfortunately separate geopolitics from the spiritual. Uh, a lot of people like to do this and pretend that they're very spiritual and they're very sophisticated because they don't uh, have to talk about all this and they're not worried about all this. And ironically, a lot of the people who uh, take that approach have actually uh, sided uh, with the EP and made serious mistakes, which abs makes absolutely no sense because, of course, the EP formerly recognized Metropolitan Anufri on the books. The other patriarch is still recognized Metropolitan Anufri, but now because of the State Department, they're forced through geopolitical power to re reject and accept the fake made up CIA church in the Ukraine. And we had a bit of a disagreement this week uh, with Jesse over at Ortho Christian because they published a terrible article denying quote conspiracy theories. And saying that you're a bad person if you talk about conspiracy theories. And the article doesn't even make any... It's terribly written by this like wannabe pietist dude, right? Look. So let's look at how ridiculous this article is. Over at Ortho Christian. And I think that... The only reason I really, I don't really care that they, I don't follow the site anymore. I quit following it a while back. Uh, the only reason I paid attention to this is because it popped up and it's relevant to what we talk about. And it's, it's, it's just odd to me that I have no idea who Steven Simpson is, but this article argues that, oh, one time there was a guy who, uh, was a Roman Catholic Bishop who started having visions of prophecies. Okay, it has nothing to do with, and he prophesied the end of the world, and he was a fraud, and so therefore uh, you shouldn't be into conspiracy theories. Literally, like the worst, the stupidest argumentation I've ever seen in an article. Number one, that's a con man, and so a con man talking about end times delusions—that's not a—that doesn't even fit with a conspiracy theorist. That's not what a, con a conspiracy theorist is <laughs> different from uh, an end times delusional preless based pseudo prophet. Okay. And so this guy goes on to argue that, oh, and by the way, look at my uh, quotes from the saints. Because it says, don't, to be, don't be afraid of anything or anyone. There's nothing new under the sun. Nobody knows anything. And then he misquotes Isaiah 11. Do not say a conspiracy, a conspiracy. These people call a conspiracy what is not a conspiracy. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the present situation of the world where every day we're dealing with geopolitical espionage and conspiracy on a global scale. And his own website, and Jesse is, of course, the one who himself is the curator of the content. He's the one that puts up the articles, but then he says he doesn't know who put up this article and he says go email somebody else to cover this article 
about conspiracy theories because he doesn't have, but he's the one that controls the content. And so we're going to look at some of their uh, openly espionage based conspiracy articles, which we have cited probably hundreds of times over the last three or four years. And I think that, you know, I don't know what the motivations of Ortho Christian are. I, I don't have any personal disagreements with them. But it plays into what we're getting into because there, uh, there's so much opposition that is basically mounting. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, right? So remember, uh, and, and that's because there is a, there is a you know, a mounting uh, ecclesial now opposition to what we do over at my site, on my channel, what we talk about, what we promote, because we talk about real stuff, right? And uh, a lot of people can't handle this stuff. A lot of people, you know, they just, they'd rather see me as the problem. Uh, am I the one that is involved in splitting the church in Ukraine? Am I the one that's siding with the EP? Am I the one that, I mean, I'm literally like one of the few people out here promoting the, the very thing that your site promotes. But, you know, this week it's all about counter-signaling conspiracy theorists, counter-signaling me. And nobody ever even says what my conspiracy theories are. Now, if I'm talking about something that's a theory, I'll tell you. But the, the irony is that everybody on my side of this knows that we focus on the texts, the academic texts, and the literature around this topic. And if we speculate on something, I'll say I'm speculating. So I don't know who else gives you level-headed analysis like this. But notice that, so the new article here over here says, uh, against conspiracy theorists, and let me give you a random four or five quote minds of verses that have nothing to do with geopolitics. Because if you don't know, we actually did a uh, video years ago about all the places in Scripture where there are conspiracy theories. Did you know the Bible talks often about conspiracy theories? Did you know that they conspired to kill the king and judges with a, uh, by an assassin? Right? Did you know that Caleb and Joshua sent out the spies? Did you, did you, I mean, does anybody know any of this stuff? Or do we just want to sit around and talk about how I'm a bad person? Right? Oh, no, it's my fault. I'm a bad person. Now, I never expected to have this kind of an audience in terms of the religious domain. Uh, it happened. Thank you. And it is what it is. So, and again, you know, we don't tell people, I don't tell people what to do spiritually. I'm not your spiritual father. Can, I gotta, of course, this is the videos, of course, hidden. So I have to come over here and look for it. biblical view of conspiracies why can I not find it you have to type it exactly right here we go are conspiracies rational or conspiracies biblical okay so you can go watch this video to see the many references I did a whole video on all the places in divine revelation where we uh, do have an affirmation of conspiracies and again, if you don't like the word conspiracies, if you bought into the 
weaponizing of the term conspiracy theory, which comes out of the JFK uh, drama, to weaponize those who would question the official narratives, then you can use the term espionage. Or do you think that espionage doesn't exist? Now, if it does exist, then why am I a bad person for talking about the very thing that these websites themselves talk about? This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Constantinople Ukrainian Hierarch awards former CIA head for supporting the push for the Ukrainian National Church. So here you have an admission from Ortho Christian that there is a collusion there with Denisenko or whatever his name is. The defrocked goober. Meeting with uh, Jack Devine, former acting director of the CIA in town to promote his new book. And of course, they're all, they're all best friends. They love each other because this is a geopolitical created schism. And it's not hard to figure that out. It's very simple. Here's another a lengthy article, which I've shared for many uh, shared many times about, uh, about the usage of schismatic groups by the U.S. power structure. Here's another one. Um, Ukrainian U.S. Embassy congratulates Ukrainians with the creation of a new church over at Ortho Christian. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, when you post your conspiracy theories and your espionage essays, which I've shared for many ta- many years, but now you're saying, no, uh, you're against conspiracy theories. So maybe you need to curate your content a little better. And then we have uh, Fordham University's uh, Orthodox Center receives grant to study uh, Skittles, also over at Ortho Christian. Now, we've talked about this. Is this not a conspiring through money and influence to change the theological, moral teaching of the churches? Of course it does. And anyone acting like this doesn't exist is either a completely naive boomer docs person who's out to lunch or they're malicious and they're lying to you. Because, and the the younger people are, the more difficult it is to pull the stupid ruse over. Because the people that are like boomer docs, they don't realize that people 30 and under can figure this out within five minutes on the internet. Okay, not everybody's dumb. Right? People 30 and under know how to use search engines and know how to find foundations, grants, and funding. And it's not working we have an audience bigger than ancient faith radios that they can't figure out 
that it's not just me or some like strange people on the internet are gathering audiences. Yeah, there's some dummies gathering audiences that are immature and stupid, but like we're showing actual uh, documents and information here. And the audience who isn't 100 IQ or below can figure this out. It's not hard to figure out. And you can you can talk all day long about how bad a person I am and I'll admit, okay, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bad person. Okay. But does that change any of what we're talking about? Okay, I know. Oh, I've got moral flaws. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the worst person. I know. But in actuality, what it is, is that, you know, just like with Damick from a few years ago, it's the same problem resurfacing. These people uh, have other masters and they see anyone that's not like Ancient Faith Radio uh, controlled as a threat because they can't control the things that we talk about, the things that we say. And so then now it's kind of shifted. Uh, things are going into a new kind of wild situation where we're going to have not just sort of infiltration, but the, the, the attacks are going to ramp up, but it's not going to work because these people are so like out of touch. They don't, they're, they're literally having conferences at OCA churches and meetings on how to deal with and how to avoid me. And I don't care because like anybody that would be swayed by that and wants to go into the domain of ecumenism is not going to like and not going to be in our spheres anyway. And nobody wants to convert to orthodoxy to go back to Rome. Duh. But you have certain uh, ecumenist-minded bishops and people within the OCA, for example, who do uh, want to eventually go back to Rome. And so it's part of a longer agenda. It's very easy to figure this out where the OCA will go under the EP and the EP will go back to Rome. So it doesn't, it's not a big deal in that it's not going to hurt or destroy what, what we do over here or for our, from our side, because any of the people that want to go do that are, 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 it's sifting wheat from chaff. Let them go. Right. I mean, you got, or you got OCA bishops calling origin a saint. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, these are not serious people, people, people openly aligned with the democratic party openly. Okay. And so they can talk about all day long about how bad a person I am and they can use Ben Cave and Theoria to try to get dirt and do whatever they want, but nobody's going to believe that because those are the same bishops, the same people, the same clerics who shut your churches down, threatened you and told you you had to get stabbies, took money most likely for all that. And the same people before all that happened who called me evil, right? So they just revealed to everybody these people are a joke. They're a joke. And I'm sorry that that's the reality of how the, the religious world is, but it is. So today what we're looking at is why is it this way? Why, why is Rome, why is Orthodox, uh, liberal orthodoxy so-called, why is it going in this direction? Well, you have to understand that from the vantage point of global powers, there is a move a push that's very easy to verify that wants to take uh, these religions and these churches into a new realm of being soft power and being forms of NGOs. 
And if you don't know what that is, soft power is just a form of <clears throat> geopolitical uh, exercising of power that's not overt warfare. So you can exercise soft power through culture, through religion, TV shows, economics, right? Because it's not overt, you know, straight up kinetic warfare or whatever. Soft power. There's also smart power. You know, using tech, this kind of stuff. Not conspiracy theories. It's, it's international relations, geopolitics 101. Anybody who goes and studies these things will learn about what soft power is. You read the writings of any of the geopolitical elite that we cover, they talk about it. Uh, but a lot of these people, a lot of these hierarchs and these kinds of, they're, they're either totally idiots and don't know anything about this, uh, or they are essentially part of a captured institution. Now, I'm not saying the entire Orthodox Church is captured. I'm not saying any entire jurisdiction is captured, but many of these jurisdictions are being captured. So that's just the facts right i mean you even had some of these oca clerics and bishops telling you to get out of their churches if you don't believe in all of the stabby all this stuff get out of the churches one of them even threatened uh to take people priests to court uh for murder charges if they didn't do the the, the stabbies the mass and all of that So, what does all this mean? So, it has to do with captured institutions. And how do we get captured institutions? Well, let's look at a few examples of other institutions, which will then show us the means, methods, and strategies of how this institution, namely the church in general, in general, and I, so, you know, I'm going to say that you know, if your OCA bishop or your Greek Orthodox bishop is liberal and you can verify that and check it out. And did these people not even realize that people can verify this very easily and check this out? Then move to uh, another one that is, that is solid. Don't give OCA people your money. If they're going to put out uh, statements and if they're going to put out warning labels about me personally, uh, if they're going to put out uh, lists of people that you shouldn't read or listen to. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because now we know like, thank you. Now we know to say goodbye to you and don't give these people your money. Anybody, are you, if you're giving money to the people who shut your churches down and told you to get out of the churches, literally many of them did. Threatened other priests would law, try to defrock priests. Then don't go to those people's churches. And they can, uh, I'm not under any of those people. So they can an, uh, announce their avoidance uh, lessons all day long. But I don't care. It's not going to do anything. So let's look at an example of a captured institution namely certain media outlets from Ivory Hacker. I think uh, Lord V has had her on multiple times. And we all know that the, the BS of this stuff anyway, it's like, how there's no, I mean, these people are openly into what they're into, openly promoting what they promote. Uh, I'm talking about in the religious realm, 
Right. And so we're not having to deal with like secret KGB operatives, right? Maybe in the Cold War, you had to worry about a secret KGB operative like, you know, like Kohler talks about in his text. Right. In Kohler's text, you've got <clears throat> KGB operatives sneaking into the church as spies, getting dirt. That's not our situation. Because we're talking about people who openly talk about total degeneracy and things that are not orthodox at all to be pushed. And by the way, just because there's a public statement doesn't mean that there aren't people covertly going against the public statement. Do people not know what PR is? People are so naive. Well, they publicly said they don't believe in it. Oh, okay. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess they don't, right? Even though they are also aligning themselves with the Democratic Party. And it's no different. It's the exact same scenario problem that we had with uh, Father Damick five years ago when he came after us, tried to get us excommunicated, all this kind of stuff, right? No different, same stuff. It's just that now because the audience has grown and because you might think, oh, uh, they love you because you... No, they don't want people... In, they don't care about young men converting to their churches. In fact a prominent OCA priest that I met and talked with years ago said, we don't want young men coming to our parish. This is a nightmare. So if you're a young guy, as many of you are, this is what they actually say about you in the OCA. We don't want young men coming to our parish. I'm talking about a specific parish in the East. I'm not talking about all people. So your feelings hurt. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there are people in the chat. You, I'm sure you do go to Father Damick's parish. And that doesn't make you a bad person. I'm not... go. You, you make those choices yourself. You, you can decide. Because I'm not actually a cult leader. You know, in the Discord, all that kind of stuff. All we ever did was direct people to their spiritual fathers to make those decisions. But I also always told you not to choose your church based on anything other than whether the, the you could d- discern whether your clergy were solid or not. So if we have multiple clerics now publicly saying, uh, avoid Jay, avoid anybody in his circles, avoiding the priests that uh, associate with him, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they don't get, there's no reasoning giving other than that. If you, if you look at what Theoria and Ben Cabe say, it's because they're not approved internet Orthodox. So actually I'm approved. So what, what do you mean? We have clerics come on all the time. So what do you mean it's not approved? Well, what they mean is it's not ancient faith radio approved, which ancient faith radio has for many years promoted all kinds of open lib stuff. And I can also tell you that over the many years that we've dealt with these kinds of issues, a lot of these people who didn't like me or got mad at me at first, then went and found out the hard way. And then later came to me, oh yeah, you were right. These people are nuts. And I'm sorry it's that way. It's not, I didn't make it this way in the Orthodox Church or in the Orthodox world. And it's not really about personalities. It's about who's a problem for ideological pushes. That's it. So I'm not under AFR. I don't have to be told by any of those people what to say or what to do. And you'll notice that, what did they do? They pushed out 
all of these people that weren't going along with their stances for market shares and they pushed out good people like Father John Whiteford and others. And they're so boomer they don't even realize that like they're just running off their audience. And, you know, all they can say is that we have an audience over here because I'm a bad person. Yeah, that's it. So it's just me being a bad person. I know. I know. I know. I'm the worst person. But how is it, if I'm, even if I'm the worst person ever, how is it that we're so right about all this stuff? How have we been so right? Why are we the only person talking about institutional capture? Why are we the only person talking about institutional subversion? Where are the priests talking about this? Shouldn't priests discuss this? No, they're still pretending like it doesn't exist. As a lot of these OCA priests commune Skittles people openly and commune people that are identifying as different things. So there you go. What does that tell you? Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. They pushed out multiple people, by the way. It's not just, it's not just one or two people. Um, If you would hit like and share. Let's look at a little bit of Ivory's interview with uh, this guy who was at CNN. He His book is about, and they were both on Timcast recently, so uh, talking about this, this strategy here. So let's listen to a little bit of this, and I'll comment as we go through. Uh, the link to the video is right here, Ivory's video there. So let's listen to some of this. For me, I guess by uh, first blowing the whistle on CNN. And now we have your new book. I got to show the audience. Uh, this was CNN, How Sex, Lies, and Spies Undid the World's Worst News Network. Congrats on this book. Hey, much appreciated, Ivory. And that's all you and I are doing. We're, we're part of a cool little fraternity and we're building it bigger and bigger as we go. Many people have come to me saying they watched your story just as they watched mine. So thank you for what you did as well. I mean. We met that day and then we out of nowhere flew to Tim Pool's house for his show that night. It was a wild whirlwind ride for you as well. But uh, yeah, here we are. So uh, let's get the party started, right? Exactly. Let's get into it. You saw how compromised CNN was before a lot of CNN viewers noticed it was compromised. The crazy thing is CNN's ratings have been going down. Their own viewers who used to like them they're becoming too obvious now. So dive into your story and what you witnessed on the inside there. Sure. Uh, the, for the 30,000 foot view for people that may be just joining us, it was three years ago. But um, long story short, I came to CNN summer of 2017 as a registered Democrat. I campaigned for Bernie. That's kind of where I was at. And I got the job at CNN really happy to go, you know, where, where real news is and, you know, speak truth to power like you did at Fox and everything. And, uh, you know, I went there to take down Trump and, you know, keep him honest, so to speak. But even from the get go, within a first a few weeks, my first job was boots on ground in Charlottesville after the riots happened at the University of Virginia. And even though I was not a fan of Trump and Republicans in general, I saw the president, uh, the then president, say they're good people on both sides, but not the neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and they should be disavowed totally. Like I saw that boots on ground. But what did I see when I got back to the office? It's the whole good people on both sides cut. 
the fallacy that even Joe Biden put on his uh, coming out campaign ad is those missing extra three seconds of very powerful context. And I just started to notice things like that over and over. And it was a really hard thing for me to stomach and, and swallow that this great venerable news network that I grew up loving is not quite what it seemed to be. And the more and more I dug and the deeper and deeper I pulled on that thread, the more and more I found, and I literally had my own matrix moment. It's overplayed and cliche, but it truly is. You know, I had a choice to make. Do I want to take the red pill and really see how deep the rabbit hole goes? Or do I want to stick my head back in the sand and just do business as usual? Now, as we both know, uh, you and I both are cut from the same cloth. We couldn't sit back idly and see our beloved, you know, news networks themselves just go on business as usual. So I reached out to James O'Keefe when I saw him at CPAC in 2019. Got to talk to him, and uh, after a few back and forth, he uh, gave me some cameras to wear each day. And within six to seven months of recording, we had enough to go to air talking about Jeff Zucker himself and all the his lieutenants talking about, hey, we don't care what actual good news is going on in the world. We want to stick with Trump, or this will paint Trump and Republicans in a bad light. And Most people don't know that this is Operation Mockingbird, right? Operation Mockingbird was this plan. I have to remember to mute because, you know, how this works, unmute. Uh, and as, as I said, I'm super tired today. So, you know, Mock Mockingbird was a way to control uh, media via the intelligence apparatus. And it was very successful for a long time. And it was exposed by Woodward and Bernstein, who were themselves sort of, you know, liberal journalists that ended up basically being just kind of other parts of the establishment. So... Uh, but it's an insight into the reality of mass media being a controlled operation. And pretty much everybody can see this now, I think, right? Fake news. Unbelievable fake news. But that's why it's fake news, right? It's not just people making up stuff. It's actual talking points that are passed down a chain of command that come from uh, a very powerful power structure, right? Which is the Milner Fabian power structure. And they bought up all of these uh, entities, all of these media things many, many years ago, all these media outlets. And that's covered, as we said, at length in the raw to text that we've been lecturing through. And there's plenty, there's pl plenty of other uh, books, things well-known, the mighty Wurlitzer, control of the media via the intelligence agencies and that's because people are recruited into these things out of universities out of academia and they do not have your best interest in heart in fact many of these people are particularly co-opted and brought into this because they're uh morally compromised people so again we know uh, whitney webb has just put out two volume text right uh about blackmail and how blackmail is crucial to controlling power structure and that's exactly what we see again in both of these texts from people in the cold war who had opposite world i mean well i don't say opposite but right wing versus left wing ideology whether it's kohler's text on spies of the vatican or williams's text on gladio right both right wing and left wing during the cold war admitting the high degree of compromise 
that we see both in the Vatican and in, for example, the Orthodox Church in Russia during the Cold War. And we've done entire extensive talks and interviews with multiple competent academics and authorities on this from Jim Jotras to uh, Metropolitan Jonah. So here is the interview we do with Metropolitan Jonah, which is kind of a classic. There is the Jatras interviews that we've done. America and Byzantium is the first one we did, which I highly recommend going and watching that. And then USA, Russia, Orthodoxy, and Ukraine schism. So you can go watch that. And... I mean, do you see me over here interviewing idiots and nobodies? Or do you see me interviewing Colonel Douglas McGregor? All right, who am I over here interviewing? You tell me. Do I interview nobodies, idiots, tards? Or do we interview actually competent, smart, intelligent people? I mean, how would I be how would I talk to these people and have these interviews if I was some sort of kook crackpot? I mean, does anybody even thought about this? How would we do? How would we interview and do that entire three-hour podcast with Coughlin, who was the Pentagon's chief intelligence? analyst consultant on Islam for many years, Dr. or Stephen Coughlin. How would, how would we do that? Is it? Yeah, exactly. It's cause it's, it's cause I know what I'm talking about. I'm not crazy. And that's why I talk to these people and the other people don't talk to these people. Right, I'm talking about the people who call me names or whatever, who come at me and attack me. Like they're they're not talking to these people. We're talking to high level global experts on stuff. Okay, <laughs> like who are these people talking to? Nobody. You know, Fox News is this that they're damaging to the American psyche. So all these things I got to hear, not from just low level people, but from the people at the top. And then we had enough to go to air, and we did in October of 2019. Uh, you know, starting a firestorm. And, you know, I eventually got fired actually that day. And then, you know, we came down to move to Florida to escape it. And then fast forward three years, and now CNN is kind of sadly in a death spiral. They're just grasping for air. They're even having to hire Bill Maher to come on and do like an... Jeff Zucker. Uh, were you... Did you ever meet Chris? I'm going to skip ahead past... I mean, I want to get to the interesting part. I don't really care about his personal yeah, stories. You know, basically, basically, the, the Hunter, Hunter Biden, Biden corruption with Joe Biden... How can we say that Trump is the bad guy when Joe Biden has this all this corruption in his background? He's literally saying that off air, but then on air, it's a totally different story. Uh, why was the company doing that? Because they, they apparently agree with people on the right. Why is the pillow square? I'm glad you asked. This is Jay, the inventor of the pillow cube. And this 
This is Mike Lindell. I'm telling you not to buy these pillows. These pillows are crazy. Go to my Giza Dream Sheet. It's a pillow shaped like a pyramid. You'll roll right off. You'll be wake, fresh, ready to attack the day. Carpe diem. I had to throw in a little Mike Lindell. It's a wild ride, Ivory, and I do want to kind of give credit where it's due. I believe the one you're talking about is the second or third CNN insider after me. Uh, that's their story. But it's a good problem to have where so many people are coming forward now from within CNN and other companies. But, yes, this is the th these are the things that people say in private but not in public, and that's what – Project Veritas is very good at is getting people to on camera saying the quiet parts out loud. But yeah, it's 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 insane. I mean, obviously, I can only speculate. I didn't get all of it all, that on tape. But I mean, if you're if you're a on air personality and you're getting a high six to low seven figure income, you know, you pretty much when they say jump, you say how high. And you know, that's my only speculation is they just didn't want to lose that fat paycheck living in D.C. or New York City. Wow. Well, yeah, they're jumping as high as the compromised company wants them to. And it's actually, they're committing their own suicide, you know, by, by doing this, it appears. Yep, yep. And that's the thing. I was just going to add that they even tried CNN plus because Fox nation was doing so well. Fox nation is the online streaming version of Fox news. So CNN said, let's try it too. CNN plus doesn't even last a month. There's already so much left-wing propaganda out there. Why do people want to pay for it with CNN Plus? Well, right, especially when it's going to be, uh, I think they opened it up at, what, five or six bucks a month. And then when they were only getting five to 10,000 subscribers, they cut it in half. And I mean, from my so, so giant failure, we know that. Let's talk about the intelligence. They're currently employed now at CNN or have in the past. And the craziest part, Ivory, and it's this is all, most of it is public knowledge that these people would literally put on their LinkedIn, former intelligence officer at XYZ there you go. agency or military there you intelligence go. at this particular branch. Like these people would literally put it on their LinkedIn full public, public profile. What? And then where do they go Shock. from their intelligence agencies? Like they uh, from January to December and then from the next January at CNN. So these are just bureaucrats that just censor everything and lie to enforce the narrative and the whole system is uh, fake. There you go. It's all fake and gray. Vindicated. So here you go. Two former mainstream media people here telling you it's fake and gray. And what did all the Twitter files show us? It's all fake and gray. All the Twitter for the last several years, the whole time, was a an intelligence censored uh, it was basically a Twitter was basically an online version of uh, Operation Mockingbird. That's it, one hundred percent. Okay, yeah, exactly. Everything that I knew talked about a long time ago. We talked about this on Boiler Room like seven years ago. So we were right, vindicated, one hundred percent. Telling you this stuff seven years ago, we told you they would eat that you'd be eating bugs, and that you would be uh, told that cannibalism is good. Here we are seven years later. We told you about the cannibalism seven years ago. Jamie, me, eating bugs with Tristan five, six years ago, four or five years ago. Here we are. Eat the bugs. We'll eat the bugs. We're in the most angrier world. The COVID-19 crisis has created the most angrier world. But remember, none of that even exists. Father Damick says there's no such thing as foundations. 
that exists to influence religions or orthodoxy. There's no such thing as foundations that exist to influence or change orthodoxy. Now, at the end of the week, we'll be doing another stream with Rachel on institutional capture uh, in terms of her research. And if you don't know, Rachel has a sub stack where she covered the subversion of Christianity uh, along the exact same lines of what we're talking about, right? And it's going to be very relevant to what we're talking about. Yeah, here it is. No, thank you. Let's have the Brittany, Brittany, Brittany. Here you go. So uh, go read this if you want to. Gets into a lot more detail. Uh, and it's all sourced, all 100% demonstrable, nothing to do with conspiracy theories. So, no ortho Christian, no Jesse Dominic. It's not a conspiracy theory, it's facts. And let's read this a little bit too because this is relevant. The page we're following you gave an interview. Uh, let's see, when did this come out? This was from. I don't see a date. Let's just read it. Recent. Or was that the date? No. Anyway, it's an article, article within the last year or two. Readers are already tired of the abundant publications about Bartholomew regarding his ambiguous narrative as to what's happening in the church. Joint photo, photos with Francis. All of the ecumenists, uh, blah, blah, blah. Bartholomew. Uh, this, so this article was uh, 2021. Gave another interview where he confirmed his activities in the near future aimed at a union with Rome. It's a conspiracy theory. Oh yeah, Bartholomew only says it openly. It's a total conspiracy theory. And let's remember too that... Here I'll give you guys... Did I give you guys Rachel's article? Remember I'm tired, so my... My mind is mush. There's Rachel's article. So remember, none of this exists according to the normie docs. Doesn't exist. Not there. So we'll be covering that at the end of the week with Rachel, the big foundation money. But let's read the rest of this. Before it proceeds in analyzing this interview, Bartholomew, blah, 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 30 years of patriarch. Confor uh, the, his message conform uh, confirmed his loyalty to the liberal agenda of joining with the Vatican. In fact, the preamble of the interview was uh, from a website prepared by a European Protestant publication. In the interview, Bartholomew answers uh, questions about unification with Rome, his uh, actions in the Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. Of course, that's what it's about. And, uh, I mean, this is like, there's a bunch of things about this. It's not new, right? The mission of the church, according to Bartholomew, is number one, ecumenism. Number two, protection of the world and nature. Now, I'm pretty sure that ecumenism and protecting nature are not the one and two, number one and two messages of orthodoxy. Pretty sure that salvation of souls, worship of God, salvation of souls. Aren't those the number one and number two things? I would think. 
uh, and then the stability of and unity of world orthodoxy. And why is that? Well, because the, he is, of course, a central figure in the World Council of Churches, and the World Council of Churches was an open Fabian socialist-created institution. On record, not a conspiracy theory, set up by these people, and particularly by a figure from British intelligence, Vinderhoofd. Remember that guy? Because it sounds like Vimhoff, but it's Visserthoofd who was involved in getting the World Council of Churches set up and bringing in the, so the uh, Orthodox into the World Council of Churches. There you can see in Ratio's analysis right there, Visserthoofd, Vim Visserthoofd, who was uh, British intelligence. What was the plans of the World Council of Churches? It says the first secretary general was Vim Visserthoofd, who belonged to the social gospel movement, which preached, preached a form of Christian socialism. It was promoted by the Anglo-American Fabian group. In addition, Visserthoofd maintained close links to uh, international money power via the MI6 and OSS, operating out of Geneva in the 1940s, as well as connections to the KGB. Ostensibly, he was aiming to promote the unity of faith and peace through ecumenism amongst Christian churches, but in reality, the World Council of Churches aimed to create a new society along socialist lines. Fabian socialist, not Marxist. And they considered, this is wild, Rhodesia's Robert Mugabe as a ideal leader for a Christian society. I kid you not. The WCC is headquartered in the Ecumenical Center in Geneva, in the vicinity of various United Nations outfits, and has declared itself committed to the principles and purpose of the United Nations. These two entities have been officially engaged in strong, close collaboration, according to uh, the United Nations uh, Ecumenist World website, uh, ecclesia.co.uk. The Milner Fabian dominated uh, power structure was instrumental in helping to set this up, as well as bringing in Anglican, Protestant, Orthodox, and Roman Catholic <coughs> uh, involvement in the WCC. <clears throat> now, there's different levels of involvement. So just because a person uh, attends an, a, a paper presentation or just because a person goes and, you know, discusses or, with groups, that's not ecumenism. But the idea of it, you're saying that there is no church and we're all in process of discovering the church which is the presupposition of global ecumenist movements, then that is heterodox in terms of ecclesiology. Now, where does the ecumenist movement come from? This is really important. Let's look at this. Because this is not even hard to find. It's actually openly in one of these classics. The authorized biography of the Rockefellers from Collier and Horowitz. This is a famous text that you've seen me reference many, many times, many, many countless pulling this out. So does any, is, does any of this look like a conspiracy text? Does this look like a conspiracy text to you? Let's look at this. This is a gigantic, gigantor tome. 
official biography. You understand that? That's not a conspiracy text. You know the difference between those two? 1976. Collier and Horowitz. Okay. And what does the official, from the archives, the official history of the Rockefeller family tell us about ecumenism? <clears throat> well, I'd be happy to tell you about it. Because it's one of the best chapters in the book. <clears throat> So this is over on page, let's see if we can get this, this is a gigantor book. So let's see if we can make it fit over here where you can see it. I'm spilling chalks everywhere. So the, here's the thing, I can't see it. When, when we do this, I can't see what's over here. All right, so this is the chapter on uh, ecumenism and the founding of ecumenism in the funding of ecumenism via this family's vast wealth. And this is uh, Junior Rockefeller had inherited the uh, Eliza Rockefeller's tendency to consolidate and trim wastefulness. The older he got, the more he was involved in his Baptist church, which he decided that it was time to get rid of the fundamentalist beliefs and turn it into something like a social gospel. Social gospel. The formation of the Federal Council of Churches in 1908 had given the ecumenical movement. There you go, right there. Preliminary organized form. And what was the goal of the Rockefeller Ecumenist Movement, which is the basis for the World Council of Churches, National Council of Churches? The re eventual erection of a one world religion that would be controlled by this family which dominates the american power structure and landscape so you could basically turn the new religion into an element of americanist soft power social gospel right here see it can you read is this a conspiracy text no do we have a lot of slow boys in the audience I have to spell this out for you step by step that'll walk you through this people can't figure this out 75 million dollars was given via the council on foreign relations and via the rockefellers <clears throat> to help foster this burgeoning ecumenist movement in the 1930s in 1932 this money was given <clears throat> they helped they chose modernist professors seminarians and, and teachers such as Reverends Buttrick, Gates, and from the Charitable Trust, John Mott and Ivy Lee. All of these are partisans of a modernist church endorsing all progressivist trends. The conflicts had broken out into a storm with uh, at the head of one of these circles being the new Reverend Harry Emerson Fosdick. Brother of Raymond and pastor of the old Presbyterian church, Fosdick had begun as a conciliator against fundamentalism. Fosbeck was then chosen by Junior Rockefeller to be <clears throat> their sort of uh, uh, frontispiece for Rockefeller ecumenism. Junior gave $26 million. Check this out. Junior Rockefeller gives $26 million 
for the creation of the Riverside Cathedral. And they put Fosdick in as the minister of their own created Protestant church. This, pro this confrontation was continued at the Protestant General Assembly. So the, the, the fundamentalist Protestants at this time are having a problem with this and, re and rejecting it, right? Let's get back over here. And so they note that Fosdick was always attacked and continue to be attacked on the question of modernism. However, Junior Rockefeller always continued to support him. And then it says in the footnote, the confrontation continued in the Protestant General Assembly, which is some Protestant meeting trying to defend against liberalism. The fundamentalists were led by William Jennings Bryan, and they tried to excommunicate Fosdick, charging that he was guilty of heresy, casting doubt on the virgin birth. So Fosdick denied the virgin birth, right? Fosdick was aided in his parliamentary victory over William Jennings Bryan by a young attorney who became a leading layman in the church. And he felt strongly about denying the virgin birth. Who was this leading layman? Why, it was none other than John Foster Dulles. You may have heard of these figures. Because Alan Dulles is the head of the CIA. So you have these Rockefeller attache underlings, minions. One hand, they're involved in the very beginning and founding and creation of the CIA, the CIA, OSS, and then the CIA. And then you have Dulles family involved in the religious circles. And by the way, there's a whole other one that becomes a cardinal, Avery Dulles, same family. In 1930, 6,000 people gathered for the opening service at the giant Gothic Riverside Cathedral. You got to see this. This is one of the best parts right here. Check this out. The cathedral featured a syncretist cacophony of new religious figures gathered under one syncretist roof. Who were the saints in this new modernist Rockefeller-created cathedral? Why none other than Confucius, Moses, Hegel, Dante, Muhammad, Darwin, and Jesus. The Rockefellers then un created Union Theological Seminary. Junior helped with that endowment by giving a $1 million gift, or they bought it off. I don't know if they created it or bought it. I think they pretty much created it through the uh, Laura Spellman Rockefeller Memorial Fund. They promoted through Union Seminary, Reinhold Niebuhr, all of the famous uh, Protestant liberals, especially Reinhold Niebuhr. So in other words, you understand that Protestant liberalism in the 20th century is a creation of these people. This is not about, we need to get this book out of the way. It's not about that. It's not about, we're not doing weaponizing anthropology right now. We will look at a chapter in that book. I think it does talk about religion in there. But by the time of his death, Junior had contributed a total of $75 million to, this is in the 30s, dude, 30s and 40s money to ecumenism and this and the promotion of liberal protestantism to a degree juniors this is a footnote see this right here 75 million of junior rockefeller to create essentially the modern ecumenist movement and then what do we have here 
<clears throat> to some degree, this dream of a united, streamlined church came true. In 1950, the Federal Council of Churches merged with 12 Protestant liberal agencies. The National Council of Churches was a result. Rockefeller provided the initial capital to fund the study of organizational structures for a new created church and thus the Riverside Church as its headquarters. And then they built a 15-story inter-church center that became the essence of the ecumenist movement. There you go. 100% created by these people in tandem with their eastern seaboard elite families in tandem with the British Royal Society elite. 100% basic academic geopolitical history. So is it a conspiracy? Well, it's a conspiracy in the sense that these people uh, are evil and they want to utilize religion and Christianity for their own purposes. And they conspire to do it. But it's not a conspiracy in the sense that it's hidden. It's out in the open. And do you understand these aren't conspiracy texts? Now, a uh, little interlude here. I want to thank our friends that gave us, and they wrote a really nice note at the event. We got an icon of St. Joseph the Hezekiah. Thank you for that. And then we got a nice little note for thanking us for helping to convert them to orthodoxy. So I appreciate that. Uh, I won't, I'll, I think they did, they want, I'll give a first name shout out, right? So it's Justin and Abby, I think, Gabby. Justin and Gabby, shout out to you guys. Thank you for that cool icon. And thank you guys for the super chats. Remember to uh, support us via the super chat function, which is Streamlabs. You can use the Streamlabs link right there to send your super chat. I'll read those here in a second. That does help keep us going, supports the show. You can also support us by going over and signing up for our philosophy course, the full 30 plus hours course, maybe 40. I forget how many with the Q and a, uh, we will do a season two, right? So the next season where you want, if you want the tutoring option that begins March 9th, I think it's March 8th or 9th, somewhere in there, whatever that Thursday is, whether that's, I don't know. Let's see what day that is. March. Ninth. So if you want the tutoring option, that starts March 9th. If you don't want the tutoring option, then just get the straight up um, full do-it-yourself course uh, of history of Western philosophy. And you get that here at the uh, Agora Autonomy Marketplace. This is Richard's Agora Autonomy Marketplace. Shout out to Richard Grove, our good buddy over at Grand Theft World, TragedyandHope.com. And uh, Autonomy Reason University. So get your own personal private education outside of the establishment brainwashing system via what Richard is building over at TragedyAndHope.com. Thank you guys for those super chats. Uh, you get the idea. So the background to uh, what we're seeing with Bartholomew and the idea for the push for a world religion uh, together with all the other Protestant sects, and now together with Chrislam 
and the Abu Dhabi Faith Center, which just opened, I think, right? This just opened. Somebody was saying on Twitter. Can we confirm that? The Abrahamic Faith House in United Arab Emirates that comes out of old Papa Frank's document on human fraternity that he signed together with one of the imams. The shared values that we all have, even though we don't have shared values because we don't believe in natural theology, Vatican II, and Nostra Aetate. Uh, but there's quite a few ecumenists and want to be Roman Catholics, and they do believe that we all worship the same God because of a word concept fallacy known as the word father or the word God or monotheism, as if those things mean the same thing, as if monarchical Trinitarianism is the same thing as Unitarianism. It's not, but didn't you know it was? Well, Francis and the Grand Imam have decided that it is, and it's good enough now that we can build an entire faith center, which has it just opened? Abu Dhabi, the Abrahamic Faith Center. I mean, if this doesn't convince you, yeah, here we go. I think it just, what, opened a day or two ago? March 1st. So not open yet, almost open. So there's three stupid ass, fake ass cathedrals or whatever these are. They look like, looks like a damn office depot, like a warehouse. Looks like a communist. What the heck? What is that? <laughs> Illuminate confirm, right? Opens March 1st. It's a multi-faith place of worship. How can you have a multi-faith place of worship together with Arians and haters of Christ? Right? John says, anyone who denies the incarnation is of the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, well then that means Islam is of the spirit of Antichrist. So how are you going to have a common faith center together with Arius, Nestorius, and Eunomius, and Muhammad? And... Maimonides. Oh, well, if you believe the World Council of Churches uh, new religion of the Rockefellers, and um, then, yeah, we're all worshiping the same thing because it's the same word God. Okay, so if I believe in one God and it's Satan or Lucifer, are we, are we still worshiping the same God? Because it's, it's a monotheism. This is stupidity of these people. They'll literally argue that by the way, I, had a, I was at a philosophy conference a, a conference a few days ago, which I'll not be going back to. The gigantic 400-pound boomer screaming in my face that our goal is to teach skeptics. By denying natural theology, it's to create human skeptics. Yeah, sure. So my goal is to create people, to, to take atheist skeptics, convert them to orthodoxy to make them atheist skeptics. Yeah, exactly. It makes a lot of sense. I'm not joking. A 400-pound screaming boomer academic in my face because I deny natural theology. 
people are losing it, dude. People are just nuts. And, you know, that's why we're, we're, we're going to tighten up our circles, who we interact with. Yeah. He was 400 pound, 400 pound boomer academic screaming in my face about natural theology. No arguments, just screaming. I thought he was going to fight me. I'm not joking. So I just left because we're not dealing with rational people anymore. We're dealing with people are just losing their mind. All half these people are on freaking SSRIs and half of them are losing their mind. So we got to tighten up who we talk to and who we interact with because people are getting crazy. People are going nuts. So, and there's a lot of subversives out there too, right? So people pretend to be uh, nice and friendly and, and they're just completely subversive demonic individuals. So let's look at next clip because now you see that he admitted that we're dealing with institutional capture. Let's look at institutional capture or influence NGO soft power through this interview, which is interesting because I just got this guy's book. I have not read it yet. We are, it's not very long. So I'm looking forward to it. It's his, uh, PhD thesis, I guess on Aaron into the wilderness, the religion, the history of the CIA. And, uh, we got some good clips that we'll play from this interview just a little bit to give you a taste of what we're dealing with here religion and law. Um, and so in the U S I've always been interested in sorts of first amendment issues, um, how that plays out in the public square. But my original idea for the project was actually something a bit different. I was interested in, um, how anti-Catholicism in the United States played out with respect to national security concerns in the cold war. And as I was doing some early sort of preliminary poking around in various archives for that project, I stumbled into uh, the story of um, Tom Dooley, which is basically just part of the uh, story of the CIA's efforts as part of the Vietnam War to get Americans to think about Catholicism differently. Um, and I just, I'd never encountered this. I'd never heard of this. And so I kind of pulled on that thread and uh, the rest of the project came together bit by bit. And so for me, I think it wasn't something that I had thought about before, but once I got into the archives and started tracking down some names, it made sense to me um, that for many of the same reasons I found studying religion interesting, um, that intelligence officers uh, in various decades would have found it useful as well. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things I was... So uh, news alert, shocker, government and intelligence agencies find religion to be useful and find it to be interesting and relevant to what they do. It's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> conspiracy theory. <laughs> As I was reading through the book, and particularly in the early days, is how much this is, uh, this is a book definitely about the CAA and, and, and religion, but like how much this is also a book about religious studies um, and, and, and particularly how <laughs> religious studies um, shapes things more than maybe they, they expected, right? So, so, so much of what how the CIA is and the OSS into the CIA is going to approach religion is based on what you know academics and a bit of popular conscious thought about religion at the time in the 40s and the 50s, or what they how they had and this this um, newfound interest in world religions. Yes. Um, so, I guess talk to us a bit about yeah how how 
And to help give context for that, the reason they had an interest in world religions is precisely for what I've been telling you the last hour. That's why. Part of what? Part of weaponizing anthropology. Is everyone tracking? Are we understanding? You know, this, the way the CIA, maybe the way it was approached, how that was not like just invented in a vacuum, but was actually the outworking of, yeah, the kind of the way that field was at the time. Yes. Um, yeah, I've always been interested in the history of the academic study of religion. Uh, I, I, I originally, um, that was another one of my ideas for the project early on was to sort of write up um, that history in North America. And I think, you know, the main problem with that is that there's like 17 people who might be interested in reading such a thing, right? Like it's pretty niche. And so one of the things I was really excited about with this project is that it does let me work in, as you noted, some of the other developments happening in the broader study of religion. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that immediately jumped out to me was um, some of the traces you can find in some of the actual kind of uh, academic work at the time. So um, Huston Smith's Religion of Man, um, I mentioned this at one point in the book, but it's the first or second edition. In the preface of that book, he talks about one of the reasons for doing comparative religious studies um, is that the U.S. military is going to need to know this stuff to like rule people or work with them or whatever, right? And so it's a very kind of applied religious studies. Um, under that's, the, that's the anthropology that we're talking about. Ending. And this was all part of a much larger piece of how um, folks in the US um, and, and other places around the world too, were thinking about religion. And so the big one that jumps out to me is that both um, in the CIA, as well as its predecessor, the OSS, and in a lot of universities at the time, religion was kind of seen as this universal translator. Um, I call it a Rosetta Stone in the book, um, because one of the things that, one of the assumptions that people um, had at this time was that if you could understand one particular religious tradition, um, you could understand others. And it's, of course, a very like essentialist understanding of religion, right? If you could get to the core, you could figure it out, and you could then use that um, to scaffold an understanding of other religious systems. Mm. And of course, for an intelligence agency, really for any sort of um, a government agency, the appeal here was that, you know, you wouldn't have to sort of have a study of each religion necessarily. You wouldn't mm. have to have specialists in every area. Um, if you can crack, you know, Roman Catholicism, you can figure out Buddhism or something, right. which um, sounds right. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but this is also some of the stuff we um, we found in the archives. Mm. And so along with this, that basically religion could be a universal translator um, that, right, it could get past ideas or differences of language. Okay, so let's get, let's skip ahead. This is, uh, yeah, so we know that, yeah, they're interested in religion. Religious. Um, so, yeah, talk to us a bit about that, about how that kind of, I guess, as, as the outplay of this, because it's interesting you talk about how, like on the, on the other end of things, it was the kind of the early victories in, in, in World War II that was like, see, it works. Um, and, and then that kind of held, and maybe we'll jump into some of the other bits in between, but I'm interested in kind of how that, yes, I guess the, the as you say, that kind of came tumbling down a little bit um, there at the end. Sure, yeah, the, I mean, let the wall come tumbling down. Let the wall come. Is that John the, Boomer Mellencamp? Is there anyone worse than John Boomer Mellencamp? So don't you know? I'm to feel. 
Let the walls come tumbling down. Was John Cougar Mellencamp singing about the fall of the Berlin Wall? Is that what that's about? Is that some more boomer CIA Tesla Scorpions crap? Did you not know that, by the way? Was it Scorpions? I can't keep up these horrible hair metal bands, dude. Who's the... Uh, a lot of y'all didn't even know this. Take me to the magic of the moment down of night. <laughs> Who is it? These horrible bands. It's a Guardian article. Is it Scorpions? I don't know these stupid bands. Winds of Change. Who sings that? Y'all didn't know that was a CIA operation? Duh. Scorpions. Scorpions Power Ballad was the sound of Iron Curtain's fall. Yeah, it was a big uh, pr uh, move, uh, mu uh, music producer who put together this big operation to for at the behest of the CIA for Scorpions to play the fall of the Berlin Wall. Y'all didn't even know that, did you? Conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory. Take me to the magic of the moment. Winds of change. Which, by the way, that's about like Western neoliberalism breathing through the winds of. That's what it's. It's actually some people have argued there's a little esoteric stuff going on there. Could be. I mean, I don't listen to the freaking scorpions and this boomer crap. But, yeah, a lot of y'all didn't even know that that was a CIA op. Uh, and there's a whole crazy story about this, too. Uh, yeah, for real. Let's get to some more of this. Where are we at? The simplest way, I think, to talk about it is that, the as you mentioned right at the the beginning of the story is a story about building confidence in these intelligence agencies because of the perceived role they played in the victories in World War II and the early Cold War. Um, it's you know probably worth noting that a lot of those victories, <laughs> the, the uh, what they called the religious approach to intelligence, may not have been due for as much credit as they sometimes gave it. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, right, this sort of encouraged the idea that like this was a profitable avenue for intelligence work. And so it builds and builds. And after the Iranian revolution, you see a couple things happen. But the big one is that all of a sudden, religion within the body of US intelligence work gets looked at much more critically. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the lead up to the revolution in the late 70s, even, um, there's an uptick in coverage of Islam, um, there's an uptick in coverage of Iran. But it's again, this idea that um, Ayatollah Khomeini is just uh, basically that he's crazy and he's sort of almost, he's almost described as like a time traveler, right? That he's this guy that's kind of from the ancient past and there's all of mm. these incredible quotes in the doc. Dude, that's what, that's what the terrorists at the beginning of Back to the Future are, even though they're Libyan. Like it's the time traveling Khomeini. Marty! Remember? Remember the terrorists? It's the Libyan terrorists though. That doesn't work. But we'll make it work. Even uh, documentary record about, you know, there's no way he could run a modern country uh, because, you know, someone of his religious interests isn't interested in the modern world. He doesn't fit. That's the thing that keeps mm -hmm. coming back. He doesn't fit. 
Um, and then he does fit, as it turns out, right? And all of a sudden, they sort of have to reassess uh, what went wrong. And so from 1977, 1978, then to 1980, 81, you just see a total shift in how at least the declassified documents we have talk about religion. Um, and I think the big place you see that, uh, or the big evidence for that, is in the much more suspicious stance that the U.S. takes towards liberation theology in Central mm. and South America. Um, that, right, these are Catholic folks doing it. These are priests in many cases. But keep in mind that even though there is a uh, conservative traditionalist element within the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches that do not like liberation theology because of their obvious connections to Marxism and socialism, there's also a, a sizable contingent within the American power structure that favors liberalism, social gospel, and liberation theology because it's amenable to progressing Christianity towards the acceptance of family planning. And that was detailed in that paper. Nineteen sixty nine Rockefeller report on Catholicism and liberation theology. Oh, what do you know? It's actually for it. Oh, what do you know? Since the nineteen seventies. Both foreign and US opponents to US Central American policy, the side of the nineteen sixty nine Rockefeller report on the America's official report of the United States presidential mission of the Western Hemisphere is beginning of the government efforts to eradicate liberation theology. Oh, but wait a minute. During the nineteen eighties, progressive Catholic press accounts in the United States and abroad emphasize similarities between the report and Reagan's approach to Central America. Critics' charges were misplaced. The report supports the Roman Catholic Church's leftward turn. Yes, Nelson Rockefeller was the reason for this. Early report drafts and Rockefeller's comments reveal that the he enthusiastically welcomed the Medellin documents and it was family planning that preoccupied the Rockefeller concern the preoccupied Rockefeller, not communist subversion. Yeah, he didn't. They weren't worried about communist subversion because they liked communism. Because they helped train Mao's guerrillas, dummies, publicly on record declassified. Because David Rockefeller writes New York Times editorials praising Mao Zedong as a an amazing opportunity for China. Nineteen seventy nine editorial in the New York Times from a China traveler. There it is. Oh, come on. It's not going to let me. Yeah, because Chase Bank was the first bank that opened up in Maoist China. <clears throat> By the way, all these articles, Nixon and China, they all give you an idea as, as, as to what was actually going on. <coughs> all right, well, it's not going to let me show you this. so, But we've, sh we've shown it probably a hundred times. But people still don't, they just can't fathom this. They can't figure out that David Rockefeller is a, a huge fan of Mao. And it's in the New York Times, dummies. 
It's not a conspiracy theory. If you read his memoirs, he talks about it. And also, what we're talking about, right, we can look back to books like this. Builders of Empire by Jessica Harlan Jacob, which is a history historian. So the Freemasonry, you want to demystify this and understand it. It's the intelligence network of the British Empire. Ooh, oh, you thought it was a bunch of woo-woo. No, it's the intelligence network for the British Empire. And it has a pseudo-religious element because it's a pseudo-religion controlled at that time by the British Empire. That's not a conspiracy text. University of North Carolina Press. We almost always exclusively work from the academic text. Now, where do we get this idea of controlling society through fake religious <clears throat> movements? goes back to this book. Plato suggests the society be run by an elite, illuminate, confirm group of philosophers, the philosopher king, but that they create a secret society that rules on the basis of a myth known as the noble lie. <clears throat> and I think this is that's in book two. That's after the the, the Ring of Gyges, like this the famous right Lord of the Rings myth. Mr. Frodo, Plato, Plato told us what was going on. He was writing about the ring, Mr. F Mr. Frodo, Plato was writing about the ring. Sam, Plato's writing about the ring, Sam. Do you know Plato wrote about magical rings that make you invisible? It's an allegory, dummy. It's not a real ring. Uh, but the whole point here is that Plato's Illuminate Confirmed Society, Allegory of the Cave, book seven, The secret society run society. And he talks about it in the laws too later on. So there's the council of night, which is like this weird oligarchy that runs it. So by, by the later Plato, he comes up with this secret council called the council of night. And they rule. I don't, I don't know if he, evolved away from philosopher king to oh we should actually have an oligarchical council rather than one dude maybe he decided that one dude was too dangerous but uh, this is interesting that in phaedrus and uh credit to stephen coughlin for finding this who does plato say that the platonic mysteries the timaeus and all that are oh thoth Plato's theology, mystical theology, is the theology of Thoth. That's the Phaedrus. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Phaedrus, section 274, C and D. In other words, the Platonic mysteries, the mysteries of the Timaeus, are... Not just Solon getting this from the priests of Egypt. That's in the Timaeus. But in the Phaedrus, it's the mysteries of Thoth. Amazing. 
So Egyptian society is another example of the Plato's philosophy. And Plato's state. And Plato's state is the state that we've been talking about. That the elite want to create the technocratic state. But to rule this kind of a state, you need an intelligentsia. Intelligence. Philosopher Kings. The wise men. Kissinger, the wise men of the West. Brzezinski. They were called that. That's not me making that up, for those that don't know. This is how you're run. You are run this way. Did you even know that? Did the universities tell you that they're setting up this exact same system from Plato? They didn't, well, then how come the universities didn't tell you this? Oh, you're not told this until later on, you see. Patriot Bartholomew spoke very warmly about Francis and the path towards unity. On the question of the path of unity, the progress remains of central importance. So Bartholomew's number one goal is by 2025, maybe by 2025, we can have a reunion council of Nicaea, Nicaea 3, which will mark the 1700, 1700 years. Oh, y'all aren't seeing this, are you? 1700 years later, 2025 can serve as an opportunity for the churches to reflect on their own path. There you go. Nicaea is a symbol, he says, turning point in the history of Christianity. Not just because of the creed, but also of its canons. By the way, uh, wouldn't a lot of this be a violation of the canons? <laughs> the irony here is like, the, this is violating the canons to uh, do all the stuff that Bartholomew does. So, right. And Bartholomew then is, as you can see, a version of Orthodox Papism. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thus, Bartholomew is leading his supporters to a third attempt at Alliance or Florence in 2025. And if you read the Ostromov book on Lions and Florence, or excuse me, Florence, uh, you can see the amazing parallels, right? This is a, uh, it's in the free, it's in the public domain, but you can get a print version on Amazon. History of the Council of Florence by Ostromov. <clears throat> Excellent text. Not very long. Easy to read here. Okay. Get all this crap out of my way. See that? <clears throat> and this is an amazing text because if, when you read this, you'll notice, hey, wait a minute. There's a huge geopolitical component involved in Florence and this push for union. Oh, but if you talk about that nowadays, like Jay Dyer does, you're a conspiracy theorist, even though it's mainline history. I guess you're supposed to think that people don't operate the way they did in the 1400s. That is, it doesn't exist anymore. People don't do this, even though you go read about the intrigues of the Borgias and the all the people at this time, Medici's, Pope Alexander, all that degeneracy in the... Borgia, papacy, all that. Oh, no, but it doesn't work that way now. It's not that way anymore, right? There's, there's no geopolitical intrigue in the church because Father Damick says it doesn't exist, even though it's all throughout standard seminary texts and histories of the church that it exists, but not today. 
doesn't matter. And by the way, Jay Dyer's a bad guy because he talks about that. He's a crazy conspiracy theorist. When the very orthodox websites that discuss this talk about the conspiring to do it. And it's just sad to have to see all this going on. And people, they, they would rather, you know, fuss about me than these issues. Seems to me like these issues are the real concern. No, 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 it's, it's me. I'm the concern. I'm the danger. Internet orthodoxy is the danger. That's the real danger here. Even though all of these people are also part of internet orthodoxy because they're orthodox people on the internet. Right? <clears throat> Remember this one? Internet orthodoxy. Damn it. What did he say? <clears throat> Most people think that the aspect of the church life they love best is the key to fixing the most problems in the church. Okay, that's probably true. <clears throat> Western right, I actually agree with this. Western right is not that important, not that popular, and it's actually a disaster. By the way, did you see that uh, one of the uniates that uh, we did a live stream warning you about years ago? Remember, we got a lot of heat. We got heat from people for talking about Hilarion Hege. He's a great person. I'll kind of you. Slander. 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 People don't even know what slander is. People think criticizing is slander. That's not what slander is. Remember uh, this interview? Talking years ago to this guy about Hilarion Hege. Well-known Uniate. Here's the full interview. And so we interviewed a guy who went from Uniatism to Orthodoxy. And he was warning. Look how prophetic this was. He was warning about the dubious character of Hilarion Hege. And how much hate did we get in the... Oh, I got all this. Uh, You're so rude, slander, mean, hate, blah, blah, blah. Uh-oh. Interesting. What just happened to Hilarion Hege, big Western right proponent? Remember when uh, Lofton was... Oh, we got... I got... I got... I got Uniates, dog. I got Uniates. I got... I got Orthodox. It's about to go Uniate, dog. It's a secret. I got secret priests. It's about to go... Okay, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Oh, uh-oh. What does it look like? Who has it turned out to be? Uh-oh. What do we know? Check this out. I mean, this is clown show. It's just like off the charts. Oh, what do you know? Please pray for Hilarion Hege, former priest... There's a Roman Catholic guy writing this who has become a Muslim. Eastern Catholic priest monk becomes a Muslim. And there's thoughtful Lofton in repose there with his Resident Evil tattoos lurking from underneath his sleeve there. So now wait a minute. I thought that you had these converts that you were you were all 
Lofton was bragging about, we got, we got Orthodox priest, dog. They about to convert, dog. They about to convert. Oh, and who is it? It's a Orthodox who went to Rome through Western Rite, which is a constant problem. Hilarion Higi, part of one of my friend's old Western Rite groups. Oh, and he becomes a Uniate. Lofton's all glowing. Remember him glowing? <laughs> and he was looking up at the sky. <laughs> uh, Y'all don't even know what's coming. <laughs> Literally. Remember that video? Of him giggling and like his yoga pants were tingling. Looking up at the sky. Because he had one person that had converted from Uniate or from uh, Orthodox Western Rite to Uniate, or was somebody interested in Western Rite? I don't even know. And now he's a Muslim. And so, again, what do we always see, right? The people who go from Western Rite to Rome are unstable people who don't know about the essence-centered distinction and who don't know and don't like theology. And what have we seen with the recent goobers and spurgs and orthodorks? Oh, the exact same thing. They're pseudo-Western right LARPers, like Patriarch Prime, like all that ilk. And now he's Muslim. So there's a pipeline of idiocy. And it always comes from idiots who think they know more than they actually know. Um, but they're much more dubious about their aims in a way that just would not have been the case um, decades earlier. And I think that really is because the the model, the assumptions about world religions uh, fall apart in Iran for them. Mm. So you mentioned liberation theology there. So Catholicism and, and the relationship to Catholicism plays a really big part, um, you know, in this story. Um, as you kind of talk about, it was almost like how someone, how the book kind of came to be was those, those attitudes. Um, so yeah, you know, and you. So what I'm getting at, see the elements within <clears throat> within the CIA that were worried about these cold warriors that were worried about liberation theology. That wasn't really even the real. I mean, liberation theology had a power, had a, a an impact, and had a power. <clears throat> I guess in the global South or whatever, but it was a bigger game being played because once liberal theology won out, neoliberalism won the Cold War. Uh, now you get all of the liberalized Christianity as just an adjunct, just an asset of the money power and the Western corporate structure. So, in other words, the, the, a lot of these people are getting played. Now, it's not that on the ground there weren't real Soviet alliances and pushes for liberation theology. There were. But there was a larger game afoot. That's the point here. And that is what this masterful book is about. And all the track is written by Tradcat. All you Tradcats need to read this book. John Courtney Murray, Time Life Magazine, The American Proposition, How the CIA's Doctrinal Warfare Program Changed the Catholic Church. And this book, uh, which I just bought, I'm sure it's going to be good, but it's not going to be anywhere near as deep as this book by Wim Hof. So anybody interested in this subject, you must have this text. And we've done... Eight-hour lectures on this book.
Who are these? What are these people talking about? Beatnik. What are y'all talking about? Libraryation. Libraryation theology. Good one. All right, let's uh, get back to these guys. Okay, we yeah, we know about liberation theology. It's not that big of a deal. Also, uh, just that the well, the thing that becomes clear quite quick, quite quickly, is that uh, well, again, as you mentioned, it's really useful to have Catholic contacts in a global conflict or on the eve of a global conflict, um, because right, the Catholic Church has outposts in so many places and has so many people with. So many different skills, language skills, right? I mean, from different cultures and nationalities, and that's um, that's not a small thing. And so, one of the ironies of the this part of the book, when I look at World War II, is that there's a great interest among the Americans to sort of crack the Vatican, to sort of figure out how to access the Vatican. As there you go. Uh, hello. Right what have I been telling you? Really, I mean, it's really. The CIA, very interested in their man, Giovanni Mantini, Paul VI. Sorry, we had a, a little uh, audio delay there. It got muted out. <clears throat> Vindicates what we've been saying for so long. The CIA wanted to crack the Vatican. And they wanted to do that because they were concerned about the pink pope, as they called John Twenty-Third. John Twenty-Third wrote Pachem and Terras, which was his encyclical dealing with a kind of reconciliation with communism and socialism that worried the CIA a la spies the Vatican by Kohler. Kohler was a army intelligence and then going into the AP guy. That means he was CIA and, uh, opposite end of the spectrum. Paul Williams critiquing cold war says the exact same thing. Kissinger met with Paul, the six Paul, the six was a CIA asset man. Paul VI also worked with the OSS, drug networks, and the mob via the Vatican Bank, via Michel Sendona, via Cardinal Bay, and via Cardinal Casaroli, the Kissinger of the Vatican. <clears throat> and there's entire chapters in here backing that up on Kissinger's meetings with John with Paul VI. The so we know that because the Soviets recorded it. <laughs> The Soviets, the Soviets were concerned with Paul VI and how they might push against communism in various Soviet countries via the Vatican, which it wasn't actually Paul VI that achieved this. The CIA picked their symbolic 
super figure, John Paul II. So even though the CIA helped Paul VI get elected, really they were concerned with, and really they put their hopes in John Paul II, who actually became a super duper Cold War uh, martyr figure after Ali Agka and the attempted assassination, which was, according to Williams, organized to make John Paul into a pseudo martyr. And that helped it. That helped in the Cold War. And then they had the Malta meeting with Bush, Gorbachev, and John Paul II, set up by the CIA. According to Gordon Thomas, uh, William Casey met with John Paul II constantly. So this is where we get the idea that the CIA stands for Catholics in Action. This is where we get the Opus Dei as a cutout money funneling front for the CIA, because it is. So that's what's really going on. I wonder if uh, this dude here has heard of that. By quite anti-Catholic ideas, ironically, even by many American Catholics, right? The Vatican is this kind of like octopus with its tentacles all over the world that Right, information gets funneled back to Rome and the Pope is just sort of like flipping through reports and whatever. Mm. And of course, it's worth pointing out for anyone listening, we now know that was not the case, that the Vatican was largely locked out from the war. They had very limited information, but the assumption um, on the Americans was that they had tons. And so right. uh, it was very interesting for the Americans to try to access this. But of course, then the Americans who are trying to access this information then had to sort of turn around and sell it to their higher ups back in the US. He's talking about the assumptions of right after World War II, the CIA, their view of the Vatican. So he's saying that they were really concerned and wanted to get their tentacles in the Vatican. That's basically correct, right? Via the Kohler book. That's what Kohler says. They got really worried because they were afraid that uh, John XXIII was a communist. So he, he's kind of right about this, but... I don't know how much this dude knows about like theology and black ops and all that. I don't know. Maybe he does. I'm not, I'm not faulting the dude. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know what he, what this guy knows. So let's see what else he says. It's good. It's an interesting interview so far. Again, it's basically vindicating the basic, the, the overall basic points that we make, right. Are being vindicated. And in many cases we're met by very dubious, um, you know, assessments that like, well, this is Catholic stuff, right. Or, well, this is from the Vatican, right. Can we really trust this? You know, these people aren't, uh, pro-American, they aren't pro-freedom, whatever. Um, and it becomes clear, I think, to many... That's why they had to get Paul VI, John Paul the Second uh, in, because they wanted pro-Americanist. And they gave a bunch of money to the Vatican Bank. The CIA put millions of dollars to the Vatican Bank to secure that uh, alliance. And they used Vatican Bank as a money funneling operation for Gladio. So th that's how they accomplish what this dude's talking about. Uh, of the intelligence operatives that I study, that by the end of World War II, if they're going to develop the Vatican, if they're going to develop um, a study of world religions as a profitable way to challenge communism, they're going to have to change or attempt to change how Americans think about Catholics more generally. Mm. I want to come to that point in a second, but I was just also sure. thinking as a side point, it's kind of, you know, fortunate in a lot of ways that this this catholicism link uh came in early because otherwise you know how do we had all these spy movies with all these great scenes in catholic cathedrals people That's meeting and true, sitting yeah. in a pew and the other guy sitting in the pew in front we're not really talking yeah. or you know fake confessional booths like all that kind of you know right what would have we done without the drama it yeah. really is <laughs> um so I, I think you know it is interesting to think about that as you said there that 
what did it change the attitudes at home? Because obviously, like a lot of this book, you know, a lot of this story is about, you know, because of the nature of the CIA foreign engagement, right? Engagement outside of the borders of the US. But as you have, there's this distinct, you know, need to to shape your know, attitudes and shape the way religion is configured um, in, you know, domestically as well. Um, so, so was that something that there was like, you know, an, you know, an ex- like, I guess how to how, right? In, in some way, the question, like, you know, was it like, you know, more of an explicit campaign or was it this, you know, um, yeah, trying to just change those attitudes? Um, yeah, you know, because that's an interesting idea, right? That, that the domestic attitudes of Americans have been shaped, you know, by an intelligence, you know, uh, agency. Because I think there's a bit in the book we kind of talk about, you know, religion was a source for how they this world religions idea was a source of how they thought, but was also something they then shaped um, yeah. in the way it was thought about. So it was it was not just all this, okay, we're just taking something and consuming it over here, but it also then kind of became a back and forth relationship. Absolutely, yeah. It's, um, that's a good way to put it. I mean, it's a back and forth relationship. The, um, as the, as these intelligence officers are doing their work, they're of course shaped by, you know, their own, education, their own culture, the kinds of religious tropes that were common at that point in American mm. culture. But, you know, uh, one of the things I try to show in the book is that by the, I mean, really even by the early 50s, but certainly into the you know 60s and afterwards, there's also just tons of other very important changes happening in American culture. Mm. And so the question about, you know, how much was this sort of intentional or planned? I don't know that it was. I think it's planned in bits and pieces. I think certain um, efforts are put into place to sort of shift American perception sometimes, but it's um, it's very haphazard. Um, and one of the things I talk about in the book is the challenge of telling the story is because I think the evidence is pretty clear that it's haphazard, but I also argue that uh, I don't think that makes the consequences of this work any less sort of challenging or profound, because mm. um, all of this is happening alongside, you know, um, major changes to how Americans are thinking about um, religious minorities, racial minorities. Um, there's an, kind of a huge explosion in domestic interest in world religions, right? Like the uh, Life magazine features articles about like, what is a Buddhism and stuff like this, you know, and sort of explaining this to like a rapt audience about, um, you know, what's going on here because there's a demand for this information. Mm. And the intelligence officers themselves are affected by this. And so I, I think what you end up seeing is that what starts as, an interest in Catholicism, especially in World War II, um, particularly in relation to the Vatican as like this sort of information network becomes and and over time morphs um, into seeing Catholicism as a model for understanding other world religions. Mm -hmm. And that, right, if we can do this with Catholicism, we can do this with other traditions and then think about all the other sources of information we could tap or, um, you know, contacts we could reach. So it was interesting you talked about a little bit touched on this earlier, like the way this whole thing then crashes into this this general idea of American exceptionalism that, um, you know, as you said before, that naturally religions have to be uh, pro-democracy, anti-communism, pro-free market. And think about, you know, so you've obviously taken this kind of essentialized idea of what religion stands for. And then there's this identification of and and that and its essential is also um, America. Uh, and what America stands for, kind of thing, mm, yeah. Um, and 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 bringing those those together. Um, 
I mean, I'm not sure how much you've got, you know, thinking about how other intelligence agencies in different countries, like, were, were thinking about religion or approaching religion. Was there um, distinct, you know, some, some crossover? Or was this kind of like, you know, was there a very distinct American brand for how they were thinking of going about this that, that, that kind of was birthed of that um, exceptionalism? Yes, um, I've, uh, I, I have not done uh, that work myself, but I've read it, um, especially with um, the example of the British in World mm -hmm. War II and afterwards. Um, they, the, the British themselves had an office sort of dedicated to this um, kind of work, which I think in, in my understanding anyway, stems out of the much longer sort of colonial mm -hmm. project there, right? Religions as a means of control. Yeah. Um, but I think the US is different for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is just the, of course, the peculiarly different US history and culture, but the second and probably more important part is just the scale. Um, mm -hmm. And so right after World War II, just the scale of the US national security state, the amount of funding, um, the ability for the US to project power globally, right? And including through its intelligence services. Now, uh, that's kind of getting <clears throat> a little boring. So we're gonna move past that because it's kind of like getting at what everything that we've talked about just in a very broad general way. Um, but I, I was trying to find this old article that Father Damick had written about. Uh, he has no idea or can't explain why there's so many people converting to orthodoxy. And of course, they all know good and well that it's largely due to a lot of the efforts <clears throat> and the information that we put out. Um, but of course, they know that they have to pretend that that isn't the case because that would really undo all of the charges that these people have had against me for many years. And he and many others are, of course, now part of this sort of coalition, <clears throat> this uh, on the down low coalition to uh, warn people and shy, uh, steer people away from the information that we put out. <clears throat> and really, it's because they don't control what we say and they don't, they can't tell us what to do. Um, but it was just funny that I'm not aware of how and why all these people are converting. We have no idea, even though uh, the people go up and talk to him about why they're converting. And of course, uh, they don't care, right? It's their nightmare. Uh, there was some statement about the internet. I was trying to find his <clears throat> thing about internet orthodoxy. I can't find it. But I mean, these people are just really ridiculous people anyway. But remember, there's no such thing as foundation money, according to Father Damick, that is subverting Christianity. And probably that's because AFR gets foundation money. So I don't know if you don't know that. can't figure that out. But that would be my guess. Right. I don't know how AFR works, don't really care, but uh, that's probably why and how that works. So here is, again, Rachel's article about foundation funding. And again, how come nobody else is talking about this stuff? Where's, where are the Orthodox priests telling you about uh, the real people funding these things? Oh, wait, Orthochristian does. They say the same thing that I talk about. But then Ortho Christian tells you that you shouldn't listen to, listen to conspiracy theorists. This generic thing, probably, I don't know, probably directed at the information that we put out. Now, it's odd because Ortho Christian used to publish my stuff. And they would just put it up. Now, I don't care that they put it up. But they would just put it up. And you can still find some of my old articles on there. But then they stopped doing that, presumably because 
somebody in the boomer dumb world told him to stop, right? They'll probably take him down now. Look at that. Oh, so they just put my articles up, which is fine. That's great. And then they stopped. So why would that be? Well, presumably, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. Well, I was a conspiracy theorist at the time that you were putting my articles up. So how, how did you, so how, how to, right? Wait a minute. He's making these good arguments and essays uh, that deal with defending the energies, defending <laughs> all these things that we that we're talking about. But now conspiracy theories are bad uh, because what? No. And by the way, has any of these people ever stepped forward to have a discussion, debate with me on these topics? No, they won't ever. They would. They wouldn't dare, right? Because a lot of the people in the sphere, let's just be honest, a lot of people in the religious, especially the Orthodox sphere, uh, Roman Catholicism, a lot of these people are just beta males, right? They're very passive aggressive, weak, soy beta males, and they cannot handle confrontation. Um, they melt down and, because they don't have masculine drives to deal with issues face to face, just face up to these issues. So it's much easier to sit back and, oh, I'm really pious. Uh, that guy's a bad guy because he confronts. He does confrontations. He has debates. He's a bad person. Look how pious we are because we post uh, articles that are really pious. I mean, we're super pious. How come we're like with all of this piety, where's the discernment? Like how come these super pious people couldn't discern what was really going on in the last three years. Now, I told you from the very beginning that this was all, the last three years was preposterous, was a psyop. It all came out that it was. But am I right? No, you're a conspiracy theorist. I'm still a bad person. For what? For what exactly did we do this bad and wrong? Other than be right? For telling you and warning you about this. So there you go. If you would hit like and share. Let's look at a little, a couple more things that relate to uh, tonight's topic, which is infiltration and subversion. So there's another important book again that fits into this, which is a gigantic beast of a book, and that is Thy Will Be Done: The Conquest of the Amazon, Rockefellers. And evangelism in the age of oil. And this touches on the Rockefeller Foundation's usage of intelligence, excuse me, churches and missionaries for intelligence work. <clears throat> and somebody sent me this today. I'm not sure what publication this is from, but you could search it and you could find it. Uh, I think we've actually covered this very point many times. And that is National Association of Evangelicals adopted a resolution at its convention condemning collaboration between missionaries and intelligence agencies. In other words, it's been been going on for a long time, dummy. 1977 was the CIA prohibited from recruitment of journalism, journalists, academics, clergy, missionary, however... CIA Director John Deutsch testified 
that the agency would waive the ban for unique cases. Uh, yeah, duh. And that's because the then there was a later <clears throat> uh, hearings in the 90s that we have covered how many times? I don't know how many times we've covered this. So remember, Father Damick says this does not exist. It doesn't exist. No such thing as this. Even though there are Senate CIA's use of journalists and clergy and intelligence operations, Senate collect, Select Committee Hearing on Intelligence, 1996, doesn't exist. Yeah, it's all Photoshop, it's all made up, it's all fake. Doesn't exist, even though academics will write entire books about co-opting and using missionaries for intelligence operations for soft power. The promotion of Americanism through the churches as forms of soft power. And yeah, okay, I can under, we can all understand a, a degree of this because, okay, it's the Cold War. That's partly an ideological war. So in an ideological war, you're going to have a global ideological conflict between atheism and religions. Okay. Okay, we get that. But when you make yourself masters, new masters, new masters have a heavy price that they exact upon you. And they expect you to follow their dictates down the road. Did you know that the OCA was a CIA backdoor to Moscow during the Cold War? Did you know that? And <clears throat> Schmeyman was involved in that? It's not a conspiracy. It's just facts. So nothing to do with conspiracy theories. That's a factual history of what the OS OCA was about. So can you help, does that help you understand what happens in church life in terms of capturing religious institutions, institutional capture? Do you see this? Institutional capture. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Why don't you just have a debate with them? They don't want to debate. These people wouldn't last five minutes in a debate. What are you talking about? They're not going to debate. All they're going to do is say, I'm a bad person. That's it. That's all they have. Okay, fine. I'm a bad person. So does that mean anything I'm saying is wrong? No. Oh, there you go. If you would hit like and share, remind you guys too, that this is all about toxic masculinity. We want to... People that are passive aggressive creeps, online dorks, get away from those people. Don't waste your time with those people. If you want to get rid of that soy, passive-aggressive attitude that you have, then I would recommend getting Chalk.com. That is the best supplements out there on the internet. Chalk offers a wide range of products, including excellent, excellent Shilajit. Check out that Shilajit, baby. Jamie's been taking the Shilajit, and she has been reading nonstop. Shilajit is too legit right? It's better than a bag of mushrooms, basically taking she legit for in terms of like what you're getting out of it. Like this is what everybody loves. A lot of uh, keto carnivore people are on this. She legit. And 
I would say on top of that, next best thing equal to that is the Tonka Ali. That's my favorite. That is testosterone boosting via peer-reviewed study. Go read the studies over at chalk.com. Use your promo code J50 to get 50% off, but use the promo code J60LIFE, that's J60LIFE, to get 60% off any recurring subscriptions of these products. There's also excellent things that are for energy boosting, like the Action 2.0, which I recommend. By the way, we had a great reception at our event. Everybody loved the weirdness of BG uh, BG, BG Comedy. BG Comedy. BG Cumby and his odd Kaufman-esque, Andy Kaufman-esque style of humor went over great. Get that Irish moss. And we had we were able to hand out a lot of chalk. So a lot of people who came to the live event, they got to taste a little bit of that chalk action. And they loved it. They loved it. So again, use those promo code J50 to get 50% off. Use the promo code J60LIFE to get 60% off. L-I-F-E. All recurring subscriptions. Uh, I want to look at the Weaponizing Anthropology book because there was a section on religion and ritual. Let's see what they said about that. And uh, for those that are wondering, yes, we did do a full analysis of this text. It's part of the Global Elite series many years ago. You can still find it on the channel. I think it was 2018. I did a a breakdown of of this book. Let's find rituals and let's see what <clears throat> Professor Dr. Price, I think is his name. Rituals, blah, blah, blah. Come on now. I just had this pulled up and I lost it. Here we go. 115. So there was an army field manual. I think that's what this is about. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember this. This is crazy. Interesting. So, yeah, okay, I think this will help us out because religion, as as you guys know, religion is an element of culture. And as we just saw with uh, the clip that we watched from, uh, what's that guy's name? Graziano. The Graziano interview uh, that we just did. We know that he was talking about religion and culture creation. Now you say, there's no such thing as culture creation, you stupid conspiracy theorist. Even though the CIA had an entire... uh, front called the Congress for Cultural Freedom, which was about cultural culture creation. There's no such thing as culture creation. But let's look at this. See this? Dr. Price's book, Commandeering Scholarship, the New Counterinsurgency Manual, Anthropology and Academic Pillaging. Spies in Academic Garb. Cloak and Gown. Soon after the U.S. Army and Marine Corps published their Counterinsurgency Field Manual, In 2006, the American public was subjected to a well-orchestrated publicity campaign to convince them that a smart new plan was underway to salvage the lost war in Iraq. In policy circles, the manual became an artifact of hope, signifying a move away from shock and awe of the Bush era toward uh, calculations that rifle-totting soldiers can win the hearts and minds of those occupied in Iraq. the time of this media blitz, there were things that were going poorly in Iraq. The American public was assured that the manual... Marine Corps manual, counterinsurgency manual, contained plans that fueled the smart bomb for an Iraq victory. This was bolstered in 2007. The University of Chicago republished their manual in a new edition. 
Chicago edition included the foreword by General Petraeus and General James Amos and a new foreword by counterinsurgency expert Lieutenant Colonel John Nagel and introduction by Harvard's Sarah Sewell. Chicago republication of the field manual spawned, spawned a media frenzy. It appeared in NPR, ABC, NBC, all these stupid mainstream media outlets. And this was Petraeus's intellectual strategy for a total victory in Iraq. Pentagon pit media pitched the manual as a rare work of applied scholarship. Old Pentagon hands were shuffled to sell this new dream of cultural engineering. Robert Bateman wrote in the new, uh, Chicago Tribune, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the most important piece of American doctrine in 20 years, crediting the success to the Army War College, Conrad Crane, and others brought to the project. Bateman touted Crane's devotion to honest and open peer review, blah, 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 blah. The most interesting aspect was that almost all of them had master's degrees and could add a title of doctor to their military uh, strategy, to their military career. Counterinsurgency manual insertion into mainstream American popular culture was military's largest larger scheme to convince America that the new military uses of culture would lead to success in Iraq. So in other words, they were flipping and focusing more on cultural engineering. Then it gets promoted and pushed on the daily show. Oh, I wonder why the daily show, oh, because that's part of cultural engineering. Here we go. The secrets of chapter three of the manual. Intelligence and counterinsurgency. These chapters contain three basic social science views. I read this the manual in 2007 and I was unimpressed because it was watered down anthropology. Like any manual is written in a dry, basic technical terms. I reread the chapter a few months later and it says ritual, quote, ritual is a stereotype sequence of activities involving gestures, words, and objects performed in influence for spiritual, supernatural entities or forces on the, ba on the basis of the actor's goals and interests. Religious ritual is a stereotype sequence of activities involving gestures. The manual simplified Victor Turner, the anthropologist's arguments into a substituting of supernatural for preternatural, blah, blah, blah. He's just being critiquing the verbiage used who cares but the point is that the section is about usages of religion and superstition and then he goes on to do this critique of the language used in the text i mean who cares about the freaking languages that are used but it's all about the uh manipulation of the indigenous cultures through all of their symbolic objects, actions, worship, norms, etc. So see that? These are all just sections from the counterinsurgency field manual and the manipulation of religion. Uh, ultimately to of course sell war and to sell Americanism and to sell peace. And that includes religion. Do you guys not see this? Do you understand? And uh, he talks about the Phoenix program. And what is University of Chicago that put this out? It's the Rockefeller University. 
University of Chicago was basically created by the Rockefellers. Um, the manual uh, linked its philosophical roots to the Vietnam War's Phoenix program, which I've covered extensively. Do you see that? Right here. What does it say? So the basis for the cultural engineering of that 2007 counterinsurgency manual is just an example of foreign intelligence, religious engineering in part. It's, it's not just religious, religion is part of culture. Oh, it's uh, based on the Phoenix program. Of course it is. And the Phoenix program uh, uh, utilized religious symbolic manipulation. Remember the... Uh, creation of and usage of cannibalism as part of the terror in the Vietnam's Phoenix program. Remember the usage of the Buddhist all-seeing eye that's covered in uh, Douglas Valentine's Phoenix program book. <clears throat> uh, and that's, that's where they created serial killers lit on record and read Doug Valentine's book <clears throat> Phoenix program. And what is that about? Why would they do that? Well, that was part of Colby's strategy to win the Cold War. Together with people from various corporations, somebody from the Ford Foundation. They cooked up the Phoenix program, as we covered, to win the Vietnam War. And I did a whole doc uh, we did a whole breakdown of this uh, documentary, which you've not if you've not seen it, you should go see it. I highly recommend watching because you will understand because he was a trad cat involved first in Gladio stationed in France, then stationed in Italy, in Rome during the Gladio period, William Colby go watch the man that nobody knew mainline documentary made by his son, not conspiracy theories made by his son, dude. Uh, and maybe we could play a little, I don't know if it'll ding me or not, but let's see if we can go to this section where he's stationed in uh, Rome. They interviewed Jesuits in this, by the way. Here we go. I think this is when he's in, stationed in Rome. And this is when uh, this is when he was doing Gladio stuff, right? When Colby, who later became director of the CIA during the Cold War, super duper trad cat, Latin mass attending trad cat. He's the one that formed these alliances in the Cold War for Gladio. These alliances, Colby plays a huge part in that. So let's see if we can play this section of the documentary, which makes my point. We're on the diplomatic list. In reality, um, he worked for CIA, but that was never stated overtly. There were also CIA personnel who were undercover so your dad had to blend the diplomatic side with the political action that CIA was tasked with. Colby in Rome is keeping up the morale of the Italian security people who are keeping track of what is still a very dangerous armed communist party. So this is the Gladio operation in Italy. 
giving them firm leadership and encouragement. And by coming from a serious professional background, the background of espionage, where the first thing you learn is most people lie most of the time and things like that. Colby was able to be well-informed about Italian politics and inject a much more realistic view of Italy than the one that was generated by Ambassador Luce and by most of the ambassadors uh, were, were simply not up to the job. The United States or policy was to support the Christian Democratic Party, any means possible. Yeah, so the Christian Democratic Party was the party funded by the Gladio drug money. Okay, so how were they getting the money through the Vatican Bank via CIA drug money? Duh. It's covered in the Gladio book right there. So what this documentary is telling you is the same thing that's in this book. We certainly assisted financially, but also guidance in organizing their rallies, their propaganda, political advice. How do you do it? How do you win an election? We had a very large covert action program in Italy. Oh, a very large co covert action program to rig elections in Italy. <clears throat> and by the way, I'm not saying communists are good dummies. Obviously, communism is bad. But that doesn't make the Vatican Bank drug money good. It was not by chance that in the name of the party, they put the Partito Democratico Cristiano. Christian party was very linked to the church. Yeah, so Gladio, this documentary, is admitting what's in the Williams book. We lived next door to the daughter of Premier de Gasperi. You and the boys were friends. So this is, at this time, that, that's Colby's wife that's talking. And at this time, uh, William Colby is not the head of the CIA. So he doesn't become that until uh, Vietnam period. This is when he's uh, station chief in Rome, I think. We'd get together for dinner play charades in Italian. Or he's just an operative in Rome. I can't remember if he's operative or station chief. Really, with our State Department cover. He was CIA under State Department cover in Rome. Marvelous opportunities for learning. I studied Italian at the Istituto per Stranieri over by the Pantheon. Imagine walking through these marvelous and this is a mainline documentary, dummies. It's not a conspiracy theory. I don't know if people can't figure that out. They don't watch documentaries. They can't tell the difference between a conspiracy theory and a documentary from William Colby's son, who made this documentary. Places in Rome that every tourist wants to see. And here we were living this life. It was a wonderful experience for a family like ours who was already Roman Catholic. We had one child born in Rome, baptized at St. Peter's under the cupola. Two others making... So the point is that Colby was there to make all of these alliances with the Vatican, with the Cardinals Their first for these operations. Do you understand that? This is pre-Vatican II. The oldest child this is in part how you get Vatican II. Italian style. His Latin was very good. We were very fortunate. This was a superb experience. Oh. Now, 
Colby isn't the only important figure working with the CIA. They recruit John Courtney Murray to work for them openly in the doctrinal warfare program. Are you beginning to see what it means to have institutional capture and how the religious institutions are gradually moved through agents of change? And all y'all dummies can't figure out that it's not communists that are doing it. Communists and CIA people are funded by a higher level people that played them during the Cold War, that were super rich, and that are building what we're going into now. Which, every day, there's news articles and press releases talking about 15-minute cities, talking about mandatory tracking and tracing for the entire world, talking about CBDCs, talking about eating the bugs, talking about get banning cars, talking about everything that we talk about. And your uh, totally lacking in discernment religious leaders have noticed, no, can't figure this out, even though it's all, all out there in the public. It doesn't exist. Why do you think they can't figure this out? Well, they're either completely duped, have no discernment, or they're malicious. And they're bought off through institutional capture. Institutional capture. It's not rocket science. It's just buying people off, buying institutions off with money. Very simple. Or with blackmail. Or intentionally promoting totally corrupt people. Cacistocracy. Do you know what a cacistocracy is? It's a real thing. It's rulership by the most immoral. So this is how the world really works. I'm sorry to break it to you. Them's the facts. Yeah, it's the same with media. We covered media in the first hour. Our first example was institutional capture with media. Then we talked about institutional capture in the uh, academia. Then we talked about institutional capture in religion. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. It's mafia tactics for running shit. Running black markets. Same stuff. Super Chats. Laurie, $10. This is good stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Laurie. Appreciate you. Oh, I forgot to read uh, yeah, another thing back in this up. Now, this is, of course, a dubious old con man, Malachi Martin. But even his books admit all of this uh, deep state intelligence CIA connections to the Vatican including the the uh, Jesuits I mean I, I'm like 90% sure that Malachi Martin was a CIA operative I think that's pretty obvious and he says he says basically that <clears throat> Uh, John Paul II was sort of man, uh, maneuvered into being this sort of supported by the CIA type of figure. And that is in chapter four. So you'll notice chapter four of the Jesuits book where he goes into down here talking about the CIA funding. CIA-backed anti-Sandinista guerrillas, which were operating in Nicaragua and out of the neighboring Honduras. Everybody knows that. 
for all the players in the global geopolitical game of nations. Nicaragua became the bellwether for Western Hemisphere, the eyes of Cuba's dictator Castro, and the eyes of Reagan administration. Uh, geopolitically, John Paul agreed with the assessment of the CIA. So the fight was, however, for the survival of the Roman Catholic Church in that sphere, where almost all or one half of all Roman Catholics live. Thus, the most dangerous rebels in the Roman Catholic Church have now appeared in these Latin American, South American communities since the time of Martin Luther. And then he frames it as uh, the battle with the Marxists and John Paul II. So that's why John Paul II needed the, the, the CIA support, which is what Kohler's book is about. Now I've lost that. Where is it at? Where the heck is the book? Did I drop it? I just had the freaking book. It's disappeared. Here it is. <clears throat> John Paul II becomes the great symbol of the Cold War for the defeat of the evil empire. Vatican collaboration, CIA Vatican backing up what William says, the CIA and the Vatican fund solidarity, La Cavalesa, solidarity in Poland. Hence the John Paul II support because he's Polish. He's a symbol. Vatican collaborates with CIA media. This is the chapter ultimately to... <clears throat> This is a really important chapter because this is where he admits that basically John Paul II is that super symbol. Curtain fall, Chapter 12, Curtain Falls on the Red Spies. And John Paul II becomes the super martyr, super symbol of the destruction of Sovietism. And this is completed at the Malta meeting. <clears throat> CIA plus John Paul II equals Cold War PSYOP. Ends the Cold War. Malta meeting arranged by Bush, who was formerly head of the CIA. Malta meeting, Gorbachev. Which, by the way, uh, Malachi Martin makes a big deal about. There you go. Right after this, John Paul declares victory against... Communists. That's the CIA arranged Malta John Paul II meeting. <clears throat> Cold War over. John Paul won. John Paul could not have won the Cold War without the CIA neocon support. And this is precisely what turns the Roman Catholic Church further into the institutional capture of an outlet for globalist interests. They're not even neocon anymore. Now with Frank, with Papa Frank, you've gone to the next phase of the revolution. Lori sends $10, says good stuff. Thank you, Lori. BMX, 1966, $23. Good day, Pope of the future. Cover a little bit of uh, Lord Baltimore cheese. Thank you. <clears throat> Cheers. I am the Pope of the future. You will live inside of a target. By the way, that's here now. 
Uh, they're building a Costco Costco apartments. You will live in a Costco. I shared it the other day. <clears throat> it's on my Twitter. Yes, you will live in a Costco. Catholic 1982, $10. I'm a Catholic who has read Wim Hof's book. I've read Gladio and I've read Spies in the Vatican. I'm fully aware of what happened to my church. It is hard to leave because I've been Catholic my whole life. Do you think Catholics can survive? <clears throat> I don't believe that the Roman Catholic Church is the true church. And it's not because there are uh, institutional infiltrators. Okay. That is not the argument against Catholicism. Because if, the, if institutional infiltration was my argument, then orthodoxy would be subject to the same critique because there were KGB bishops. There were Soviet bishops in the Orthodox Church. The CIA had control, has had control of the ecumenical patriarchate since the end of the Cold War, or since the beginning of the Cold War. So right after World War II, uh, again, that was just declassified, covered it many times. The CIA has basically run the EP. Remember that? They didn't want the, it was Bill Donovan and Truman, I think. Yeah, here it is. <clears throat> it's this. Yep, this is it. This is declassified CIA documents. At the end of World War II, <clears throat> U.S. and Soviet Union were interested in jockeying and, and, uh, Figuring out the role of the ecumenical patriarchate. You can go read the declassified documents, dude. It's not conspiracy theories. It's not made up. It's public history. I'm so tired of all the stupid people that just saying stupid shit all the time. Non-stop stupidity. They wanted to make sure that the EP was pro-America. Oh, what do you know? The CIA has released a large number of documents about the story of Maximus's Patriarchate. And I went and read the documents. They're right here. You can go read them. They're not conspiracy theories. They're real documents. So you want to understand why? Can y'all not see that? There it is right there. Y'all can't. Y'all want to. Oh, was, was Bar Patriarch Bartholomew do what he does? Because of this. So, this was under Donovan, I think. Yeah, 1947. That would be right when the CIA was created. So, 42 OSS, 47 CIA. So, here you have, uh, yeah, Truman. Exactly. I mean, do we know our history or do we know our history? We know what we're talking about. So, there you go. And again, I'm sorry, dummies. That it's not doesn't mean that the KGB was good. So, I mean, if you're, the CIA is your masters, KGB lost, CIA won the Cold War, okay? So now there's new masters. You're not going to serve Moscow. You're going to serve Klaus and Francis. And Klaus's mentor is the same mentor 
what is that guy's name? I can never remember this guy's name. Here it is. Klaus's mentor is Pope Francis's mentor. What is that guy's name? I always forget his name. This is him right here. This liberation deal. Kamara. Yeah, that's him. So now do you think that. Wait a minute. I thought liberation theology was Marxist. But wait a minute. Is Klaus a Marxist? Well, wait a minute. I'm confused. I don't get it. I'm a simple minded goober who buys into a simple binaries and I can't figure this out. It's because of what I'm telling you. It's because zillionaires like communism and socialism. It's that simple. They don't hate liberation theology. David Rockefeller loves liberation theology. He loves socialism. Can you not figure that out? Who recruited Klaus? Kissinger. Not Moscow, dummies. Do you think Klaus works for KGB? No, Klaus was recruited out of the Harvard Research Project by Kissinger. There you go. So there you go. So that's how your world is really run. And by the way, anybody who wants to debate on that, there's always an open forum to debate. Probably won't debate. I won't debate any theology or any things like that during Lent. I'll be fasting from that. But if anybody wants to debate any of this stuff, you're welcome to come on. And we'll see. We'll see who knows what they're talking about for real. None of these people would ever come debate though. So they don't, they're not going to do that. 1960s new take on liberation on Marxism began to emerge. This was known as liberation theology. Its impact was widespread, as the name suggests. Is an in, uh, attempt to interpret theology and amplify socioeconomic issues. Blah 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 blah. Uh, who is Kamara? He is one of the key figures of liberation theology in the Roman Catholic Church. Cultural Marxism. Blah blah blah. But you have to understand that. It's not about Marxism ultimately. It's about the melding of East and West for the great synthesis <clears throat> for where we are now. And Francis is from this same ethos. And Klaus studied under the same people. Klaus invited Kamara to come speak in 1974 at Davos, the World Economic Forum. So you understand that Klaus's Davos is a monopoly capitalist socialist institution. This is why people can't figure this out. The boomers can't figure it out. Trad cats think they're fighting communism in the Catholic Church. It's not communism. It's monopoly capital. 
Okay, Marxism died in the Cold War. Classical Marxism never made it. Classical Marxism died in the first generation because there was no proletariat revolution. So what happened in Reform Marxism? What is Reform Marxism? It's called social, Fabian Socialism. Fabian Socialism won. Fabian Socialism is why we have the United Nations, the IMF, the World Bank, UNESCO, the London School of Economics, David Rockefeller. They're all Fabian Socialists. Klaus is a Fabian Socialist from this ethos. This is the Anglo-American establishment ethos. These are the people who created the World Council of Churches. Now do you understand what this is? It's not that hard to figure out. I'm helping you out here. And telling you basic geopolitical facts does not make me a bad man. Time to grow up, be adults. Rough Hands $10 says, I'm glad that you do Gil Bates' impression on the Voldemort broadcast. You should, everyone should watch it. It has half a million views. You and Jamie did great, wonderful shows. Thank you, yeah. I was really hoping we could hit a million because I haven't done any shows yet that have hit a million. We got really close with the Spars thing. Uh, it had 900,000. But still just can't seem to break a million. <clears throat> Maybe one day. Kristen, $20. Congratulations on the recent success to many more years. Now, thank you. Uh, I mean, we basically, I can't say what it is, but it's going to be great. You're going to love it. Needham, 37 $3. Do you think Neoplatonism is a counter-tactic to Christianity? A counter-tactic? I mean, Neoplatonism is one of the key elements that has been a recurring problem for the church, particularly in the first seven centuries. This is a great book uh, that's an academic introduction that's very short that I read about a year ago. <clears throat> R.T. Wallace, that's a good one to read on that. Um, and it, it does seem that Neoplatonism has a constant recurring theme, whether it's Arians, Eunomians, Monophysite, Iconoclasm, Byzantium with the Sinioglissu book that we're working through. With the Neoplatonism uh, coming back to haunt everybody in Byzantium, yeah, it does seem like it. it's a, a constant recurring problem. That's why it's condemned in the Synodicon. It's a depersonalized version of the Trinity. Yes, that's basically what Platonism is, yeah. Joshi, $10. Any recommendations on the history of Byzantium? I mean, the most famous is the John Julian Norwich trilogy here. Byzantium, the three-volume. That's I've not read the three volume, but there's a smaller one volume. By the way, for the uh, Roman Catholic person that asked about the survival of their church, I recommend you read these two books, Church Papacy Schism and Orthodox Faith and Life in Christ, because it's a really good critique. Church Papacy Schism by Sherard is a good philosophical critique of the papacy after the Renaissance. And then this is another great Orthodox Renaissance critique of papacy. So, Constantine Mina Manel Trauma. Manel Trauma. I can't even pronounce it. $10. Thank you for tonight's stream. Can you explain why the Orthodox Church rejects the Immaculate Conception? 
Yeah, because it's tied to the Augustinian notion of uh, original guilt and inherited sin. Bacchus, $3. Jay, I used to be an atheist, great orthodoxy in large part. Thanks to you, I want to believe in the Bible, but I find it hard to believe in young earth. Do you reconcile contradictions? Uh, they're not contradictions. Read, uh, read Genesis Creation Early Man by Father Sophie Rose. <clears throat> so it should be in print again soon. That would be my answer to that. Bacchus, $5. Sorry for the off-topic charts chats i want to ask if there's a particular bible version that you recommend uh, the orthodox study bible kt sky two dollars i started tracking how the bible project sprinkles the word equity through the niv verse by verse interesting um yeah i mean obviously the orthodox church is not wouldn't approve of the NIV. So, I mean, I don't think you're lost if you read, read the NIV, but you are going to get these kind of uh, gradually more and more and more, all of these uh, bizarro translations. I mean, they're coming out with like feminist Bibles. So yeah, it's time to, uh, you know, basically just get the Orthodox study. Bible. Uh, Marka 85, $5. Jay, apologies for previous bad interactions. I got sober as a result. Great to hear, man. I don't, I don't recall uh, who you are or whatever, uh, but uh, happy to let any bad interactions that we had be forgiven, forgotten, and in the past. And I'm glad to hear that you're sober, and that's awesome. BMX1966, $5. Scorpions ha has awesome songs. Well, we might have to debate that. Rudolf Schenker and Michael Schenker from the band UFO, MSG, and the Michael Schenker group used to be guitar gods. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't grow up in that time. So, I mean, I guess I was in the 80s, but I just, I never cared about hair metal. I don't like metal. Uh, I mean, I like a couple industrial-ish bands. And, and I, I like some KMFDM. I like a little Nine Inch Nails and the old, I mean, but it's like high school stuff that's noisy. I don't listen to it anymore. It's, it's annoying to hear that stuff now. Bone Man 538, $100. Wow, thank you so much. Nuclear Vision. Nuclear Vision. I guess you mean Bush. By the way, Arthur Clark quote on box two two three eight key. I have to look up Arthur C. Clark's quote on box two two three eight key. Do you mean Jamie's quote she found in the broadcast we did, or do you mean something else? I'll have to look that up. But thank you for that so much. A huge super chat from Bone Man John Bowlerman ten dollars. I'm still waiting for my dire Funko Pop. So a lot of people asked. They thought that was real. Uh. There's not a, a real, that was a joke. Somebody, it's, it's obviously Photoshop, but a lot of people thought that was real, but it would be funny if there was a real one, but it's not real. Bone Man again, $10. Matthew 16. We are called out of the, this is the land of confusion. Are you citing Phil Collins lyrics? Land of confusion is evident through this verse with regards to the Pharisees and how one might survive what has been added to and taken away since calendation. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, Bone Man. I don't know what that means. <clears throat> I'm not trying to be rude or dismiss your super chat. I don't know what you mean about what's been added or taken away since calendation. Bone Man, again, $10. Feudalism is a contract of silence. Uh, uh, Bone Man going over my head. I don't know what he's talking about. He's, he's got these obscure, deep references. 
he I definitely appreciate the super chats and the support, but I don't know I don't know what that means. Really don't. Um again, guys, head on over to Grand Theft World. Follow Richard over on Rockfin. He's got one of the best geopolitical podcasts out there. Uh good news. I'm gonna be hosting Grand Theft World coming up very soon, in the next week or two. Sometime. I there's so many things going on now, so many you know, it's just crazy, like Tim Cast. So first, Lord Voldemort opened up all these doors. Then Tim Cast opened up a whole new world of stuff. Then we did Dr. Steve Turley. Then we did Elijah Schaefer. And this just opened up all these other new doors. So now there's like nonstop interview requests. So I'm not trying to be rude to people or ignore stuff. Uh, books are a little behind. The the the, the red book is backordered. Uh, so just be patient. You, there's no need to send me emails about your book orders. I haven't forgotten them. You will get your books. But we had to go do this event. The event ended up being longer because I got asked to do all these other media events when I was there. So I didn't want to turn those down. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. So now the book orders are behind. We did a bunch today. Uh, but now the red books are backordered. So just please be patient. I promise you'll get your books. Nobody's stealing your $20 or whatever to not send you a book. Uh, but you can subscribe to the philosophy class, which as we said, the new philosophy course, we sold quite a few, by the way, I was, I was surprised how many we sold in the first month. Get your philosophy course there. It's uh, starting... So the way it works, guys, because everybody's asked me this question. If you buy the philosophy course on its own, you can do whatever you want. If you want the tutoring option, the way that works is March 9th is the first class where we cover the first two-hour, three-hour lecture. And that's the pre-Socratics. We, we go work through all the main pre-Socratics. Then we have tutoring. Okay. Then the next Thursday, it'll be every Thursday tutoring so you'll watch the, the the thing and then i will come that night thursday nights for tutoring and i'm sorry i can't arrange every different night for every different person it's got to be one night so that's how it works and it'll be every every week you come to the tutoring on thursday nights and yes they have uh, payment options if you can't really do that whole Whole amount. Anyway, thank you guys so much. Uh, I'm really tired. We got another super chat here. Jedediah, ten dollars. Jay, could you talk about scientists claim the speed of light and redshift prove Earth is billions of years old? Why isn't this the case? <coughs> um, there's some really good stuff from the Creation Science Institute. Uh, I think that's or cre Creation. I forget what it's called, but this word Dr. Jason Lyle is. They, he has stuff on this that's really good. L i s l e. Uh, I'm not a astrophysicist or a physicist, so I can't tell you about space bodies. But the measurements have baked into them the presupposition that that's how long it takes light to reach Earth. Um, but if God created the Earth and the universe, then he could have created them with the light already presently traversing that distance. Just like God can create beings with the appearance of age like adam being created as a full full-grown human being 
without Adam having to grow for 30, 40 years to be a full grown adult, right? Yeah. So it's all just pre based on presuppositions such as uniformity of nature, which cannot be proven. In other words, the arguments uh, about the speed of light and redshift are presupposing a regularity and uniformity of nature that is not proven or known. Maybe there is uniformity of nature going back that long, but none of these people actually know that or can prove that. So we need to know how those presuppositions that they have that underlie their philosophy of science are true first before we can submit to and accept their conclusions about zillions of years for redshift and uh, infrared light or whatever. And uh, I'm really tired, as you guys know. So we did, uh, we basically traveled uh, for 11 straight days or 14, I don't even know, two weeks basically, nonstop traveling and, and interviews, nonstop media, everyday interviews, events, just nonstop, including, including stuff I can't talk about. That'll be huge. Yeah. Soy face level stuff. Anyway, if you would hit like and share, hope you enjoy this uh, Friday or Saturday, Rachel and I will be doing a part two <clears throat> where we will get into her research in regard to institutional capture. <clears throat> I don't know where all she's going to go. She's got her own, uh, you know, research that she's done on these topics. She knows a lot about this beyond what I know in terms of, foundations and whatnot there's her paper that you can read her essay on institutional capture through subversion there let's see we get another super chat <clears throat> peculiar sojourner ten dollars can you clarify your mark remark on twitter that there are problems in the uh, orthodox clerical world kind of like the problems in the roman catholic world well what do you need me to clarify how is that not clear? So you want to understand here, read Rachel's article. I mean, the Orthodox Church is made up of people just like the Roman Catholic Church is made up of people. So it's going to reflect the problems that are in the culture. Okay. So of course that, but the problem is that you get clergy and people who <clears throat> are held to a much higher standard, not by me, but by the canons. And those people can be compromised and oftentimes are in the history of the church. I'm talking about, right? Not, I'm not, but no, I'm not going to name names of people because, uh, you know, it's a situation where I'm not going to give, <clears throat> I don't want to, I don't want to spread rumors. Uh, and I don't want to cause unnecessary drama. Uh, unless we get, you know, unless those people continue to push me. So that's that. Another super chat. Bone man, can institutional capture be subverted? Uh, what's the first step? Tragedy and hope. Well, the first step would be a lot of the kind of the stuff that I'm talking about. Okay. That we're talking about today. Understanding the basics, like what Rachel wrote about foundation money. That's how we understand the basics here. So it's not about figuring out who's a CIA operative. That's, that's not the issue. It's much simpler and more open and basic 
which is what these articles talk about. I mean, it does get into the this kind of stuff eventually, but this is the, the basics here. Big money buying off seminaries. And so now you get people like what John McGuckin and these kinds of people who promote women's ordination. It's, it's very simple. not hard to figure out it's not rocket science it's uh the art of human compromise and betrayal there you go and by the way it doesn't mean i'm some saint i'm not i'm not saying that but i'm telling you the basic facts of how the world works and uh it's basic facts about how the world works in public books that anybody could read in academia or in your local library if you read books. So it sounds foreign to you though, because you're not taught how to read books and how to do this as part of being an adult. You were taught and brainwashed in public academia and public schools to act like an idiot and believe stupid shit and to submit to arbitrary authority. And that's why Richard's stuff is so good because Richard teaches you, Tony, Tony's a, a good, Logic professor over there, Tony Myers, they teach you how to critically think. My courses on the history of philosophy. <clears throat> it's not a heavy accusation. I mean, again, do you know? I mean, you, you guys just, here's the problem is that people are believing what they want to believe. Yeah, I mean, it, heavy accusations. We don't know if any of this is true. Okay, yeah, well, then go believe what you want. Yeah, go go have fun believing your delusions. Enjoy your delusions. You don't have to listen. Nobody's forcing you to listen to me. Where am I wrong? It's a heavy accusation. I mean, you think I haven't been around the block? You think I haven't seen what happens to churches? I mean, I've been studying religion and theology for 20 plus years. Human beings are human beings. They act the same in different institutions. I'm not saying the Orthodox Church is the same as every institution, but I'm saying that the human domain, the human element is the same. They don't act different. And I mean, you people that can't figure this out, that's on you. It's not my fault. There's your clarification right there. Stop being naive. Stop being childish. Especially you boomers acting like big ass kids, children, can't grow up. Don't know how the world really works. Anyway, everybody have a good night.